Martin! Martin! Would you believe it? A subdued announcement from my uh, host here, trying to tell you that this is part 10 of David and Sean and my scurrilous adventures. You would never guess that he was a TV presenter in his childhood. At 12 years old. <laughs> and uh, I did learn to uh, read the news. So, uh, And they didn't have auto cues in those days. So <clears throat> you actually had to scan a couple of lines. It was quite a challenge. Oh, I've knocked the table. I'm not allowed to do that. <clears throat> so uh, all is well here at the studio. And uh, you've had a, an earlier guest, some uh, a man who solves his problems with the fist. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Indeed. We had a boxer on who spent time in the UK prison system. But for people who are not familiar with David, there's a reason he's back for the 10th time. By far the biggest story on the channel. We're not talking just one prison experience in one country. We are talking prison experiences on five continents. The man, the only Westerner to escape from death row in Thailand, tortured in Karachi, and on and on and on and on it goes until we get up to episode 20 after which we're going to have to rely on your questions to keep us going. You think? <laughs> Perhaps I can reveal what I've really been up to since my retirement. But, uh, <clears throat> in fact, I'm using my misadventures to uh, some purpose. Uh, I actually threw out a video on my own channel, which a handful of people watched. Please go in the description box and check out David's channel and subscribe. We need to get him up to over 10,000 subs. What are you at now? Um, just about 6,000. Cool. So it's not too bad. And I thought, you know, did you ever get this viral um, kind of video passed on through WhatsApp? You know how your ex-friends keep sending you these things, forwarding their little jokey, funny messages? This one was some guy sitting in his car bitching about uh, Coke dealers around town, saying how much rubbish it was. And I got it four times. Now, what that means, viewers, is that uh, if I get it four times, that's probably from a different pool of friends, that famous six degrees of separation. So I haven't actually come across anybody who hasn't seen it. You may not have because you're, you're chained to your desk here um, and um, on your other secret channel, you know, YouTube B or whatever it's called. Um, <laughs> but so I thought... If he can sit there complaining about the quality of uh, the pub grub that he's forced to buy, uh, I thought I invited the viewers to solve the problem by going over to Colombia and bringing back a load, even though I did warn them that it's against the law and they shouldn't do it. But um, I'm kind of footfalling them through the thing at the moment. Um, what have you been doing on your channel lately? Um, advice. Uh, about how to stay... Out of jail, of course. Exactly. Um, well, I By not off... getting involved in crime, of course. Indeed. <laughs> not tips for smugglers. But, you know, I find the best way uh, is to be enthusiastic in the beginning. Then once you point out all the pitfalls, look at the wreckage that 45 years in the trade's done to me. Um, and people kind of feel, yes, they'll change their mind by themselves. It's no use. You remember those posters years ago? There was a thing around 
uh, I think about 20 years ago, featuring The Junkie. It was a big poster for people. And this guy was a wreck. He made Sid Vicious look like sort he of lived uh, on, Arnold Schwarzenegger. He lived under a bridge and he shoplifted. Yeah. Oh, well, he was kind of like a punk rocker in this style. Now, all it ended up was this poster was on the um, bedroom door of half the teenage boys and girls around the country. So they just didn't get it. You can't say to people, don't do such and such, or this is a bad thing. Uh, it's a conclusion they'll have to come to themselves. It's like parents who go on about smoking and drinking. You know, if they sit there like mine did and get drunk in front of their children, um, you kind of get the message yourself. But just to clarify, if you've walked in on episode ten, yes, I had uh, went out as a teenager. You know, I started out in safe cracking, Sean. We haven't even gone into that. So we could go back and start again. Is that what you're saying? Um, well, it was kind of short-lived because the um, most of the safe crackers had kind of retired, and there was a, a bit of a a challenge between the manufacturers of the safes uh, and us. Every uh, the rule was never leave the lid of the safe behind. When you open it up, unbolt it, and take it with you, because if you leave the wreckage, they'll work out how you got in. But People are nervous, careless, enjoying their loot or disappointed at finding an empty <laughs> safe and stomp off into the night, leaving the evidence. Now, the way back in those days was to drill a tiny hole uh, through the front. Now, those tumbler combination safes, people always seem to be interested in the technicalities, don't they? They are. There's a series of discs behind uh, that uh, tumbler. And as you go 23 left, 42 right, um, it pushes one of the discs this way and the next one that way, and there's a groove in them. If you line up all the grooves in the disc, you can turn the handle, the bolt will drop into it, and then you can open it up. So you can imagine, if we could drill in, um, we had to use a cystoscope. This was in the days, this was, what, mid-70s? Before uh, microscopic cameras and such like. But the cystoscope was the horrible instrument that gentlemen had to have inserted into them if they'd um, <clears throat> had a memento from Asia, shall we say, from some liaison there, and uh, the inside needed examining. It was, uh, wasn't that small, <laughs> but you could see the how these things lined up. Not the umbrella scrape thing. I don't think that's been used since, um, well, it was still around when I was a young man, but then again, so was the horseless carriage. It, uh, I'd never worked anyway, did it? That? And mercury treatment, that was another cure for syphilis that never did any good. So, um, oh, by the way, what they did, uh, the, the safe companies, when they realized what we were doing, was put in um, what we called a, a, a crunchy bar. It was another disc, but of very strong metals, like um, tungsten, mixed with Teflon so that when your drill bit went in to make the hole to have a look, it would strike the hard stuff and twist on the soft stuff and snap. And once it snapped, you're gone. You can try and drill another hole, but it won't do any good because it's all bunged up. Um, and that was in reaction to what we did. And, of course, police do the same thing, don't they? They, they react. But 
So it was out of that and then into smuggling in general, everything from gold video heads and inevitably narcotics, which was where the fun began. I ended up getting a, a big sentence in Australia, 10 years, survived that out of supermaxes, headed for Thailand, that all fell to pieces, sent, almost sentenced to death, a couple of weeks off it, escaped from there, uh, sat, built a new life. Uh, I guess this is the point of our interviews, isn't it? The lives keep getting crushed down, and I'll kind of manufacture a, a new David out of the ashes. Please let us know in the comments what you think the point of David's interviews is. Thank you. Well, it's insomnia for people who have no lives, I guess. But then again, you amongst your, what is it, close to half a million subscribers? Over now. It's got to be impressive. Um, there are no doubt some quite sensible people who are still asking themselves at 3 o'clock in the morning why they're watching, but nonetheless. <laughs> um, and uh, I found myself what I thought was a sanctuary in... Um, Pakistan and the tribal lands in Baluchistan. But um, things, of course, got complicated after I broke the other rule, which is when you've retired, don't go running around playing, I don't know, hero in any sense. And when I uh, tried and more or less succeeded in getting a, a kidnapped friend um, out of trouble there, Iftikhar, he was the nephew of a guy that had saved me a few times. This is uh, Mir Nurjan Magsi, head of the Magsi clan, uh, tribal chieftain. Um, and he, why his little cousin ended up, uh, or nephew, I mean, ended up stuck out there is in the, very complex. Um, everything in, um, in, the, in not only the law, the interactions between people. Um, I mean, in the nations of uh, Great Britain, we have uh, you know, Scotland, Wales, and so on, but the differences there are huge. There's an independence movement in uh, Karachi linked to the Sindh province, and Sindhi is a language, Baluchistan, another language, another province. I guess it was only unified in some sense by the Indian Empire, and that was artificial, wasn't it? So uh, when the British scampered away, <laughs> and, and in the usual fashion, um, what's the best way to get out of uh, what could be potentially a great power and potential rival is to make a mess of it. So uh, they went along with uh, the dear departed uh, Ali Jinnah, who, who founded Pakistan, said, yes, you can have a Muslim homeland. All of you lot in India or the millions of Muslims, you just move over here and, and the Hindus can move over there. What was it? Six, eight million dead in the process. Properties burnt, riots, all of that. And if that wasn't mess enough, uh, the lasting legacy of Kashmir, which uh, was owned by some huge nabob up there and ended up splitting it between India and Pakistan, and they're still at war to this day over that, high up in the mountains. And so, the, and job the, done there. And the Brits it? had to walk away from the opium business, did they? Um, kinda. Um, a lot of it was in Burma anyway, and that fell to its own problems. But 
um, there's still uh, illegal opium growers there in, in India. They've got many fields. But then again, so have many places. You know, in Tasmania, in Australia, um, they uh, have opium fields there, legal ones, to manufacture, uh, what is it, uh, morphine? Yes, a little, but mostly codeine. Across uh, England, uh, people will know, um, over-the-counter codeine tablets are a big favorite at your local chemist. In fact, a huge uh, amount of it is sold. If we turned, if, let's imagine taking the amount of codeine that's sold and turning it, um, dividing it by 10 to work out the morphine amount that went into making that codeine, uh, probably two tons of heroin a year is consumed over the counter indirectly by uh, the worried suburbanites who have back pain. <laughs> and uh, I guess, I think the UK is one of the few places where you can buy, um, a, what is it, uh, a mixture of paracetamol and codeine, 12.75 milligrams is the maximum in one pill that is allowed to be sold. Extraordinarily, Boots the chemist sell a 12.75 milligram tablet at the maximum, and they're obliged uh, to uh, advise people not to take it for more than three days. Yeah, that's good advice. So who was the biggest trafficker in the history of the world then? Queen, Victoria, and the British Empire, or Pablo Escobar and the Medellin cartel? Oh, I, I don't know. He, he was just a cheap cigarette smuggler by comparison. <laughs> that's where he started, and in the eyes of empire, that's where he stays. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> he didn't know how to do it properly, really, did he? He, he ended up... Um, oh, well, you'd know better than I. Um, he didn't have any battleships, did he? How many spies did he have in his own network over the years before his fall? How many spies? Yeah, how many in, traitors? In his own network. His problem was... When he built the prison for himself and went into the cathedral prison, he started to cannibalize his own men. And then his own men got scared and went to the Cali cartel and turned on him. Well, he, he became paranoid about them and, and turned on them, or you mean something else? He said to his brother, when his brother asked him, why would you kill the Moncado and the Galliano factions when they were our friends? Mm. They were, they'd like been at each other's weddings and godfathers and all that stuff. Pablo's response was, some people are like cattle. You let them grow fat before you slaughter them. Mm. It's a charming analogy there. Of course, if you want to know anything or everything about uh, Pablo Escobar, who can I think of that? Sean, <laughs> you. Uh, Sean, you've got, I think, six or seven uh, books related and to And I just him. interviewed his son. Ah, yes, yes. Should be up soon. Um, By the time people are watching this, it should be up. Mm, I, I saw the teaser to it, very yeah. uh, very slick, had me in, spooked. You know. James. Yeah. Very professional. James uh, is teaser kingpin now. Yes, I, I can, on, on my humble little suite, I can never catch up with your, your <laughs> slick professionalism. But uh, Talking about slick well. professionalism, you've got a glowing purple cover to Unforgiving Destiny this uh, evening. This is a kind of a... Never a, seen that. A, a proof edition. Purple that, one before. Uh, was um, full of mistakes that I corrected. There's two and books on Amazon that David would appreciate you buying. This one. From himself, signed. Send him a message. He loves going to the post office. 
<laughs> yes, you can well, have, a look the yeah, have a flip through that. Wow. If what I do is um you send me a little information about yourself, your darker secrets if you wish, and I'll write something personal in a copy of it and send it to you. So, you know, people used to um when they were troubled and, and didn't know where to turn to, they used to uh, drop the Bible open and randomly point a finger, and like some old sailors used to do with an atlas. You could, <laughs> if troubled and not knowing where to turn to, take unforgiving destiny, drop it open, and point a finger, and it'll tell you where not to go. <laughs> so you've eliminated something there. Well, speaking of old sailors, have you watched this movie, The Lighthouse? No, I've seen it up there. Is it worth it? Yeah. People go crazy in a lighthouse. Is that the... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. the, the a lot of old that? sailor language in it. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, I think um, Porridge for Prison Time is a, a sailor's one. Uh, um, of course, that's what they used to feed them, or a kind of a gruel. Um, but that certainly goes back to that time. Um, I've had barely time to watch anything, really. Uh, not terribly impressed with the things I do. But um You're not watching any series on Netflix? <clears throat> I don't think I really nothing stands out that was really good. Uh, um Queen of the South? Cartel chasing. My wife uh, really enjoyed that. Yeah. And, uh, and by the way their their dubbing's getting better too. Because <laughs> that's in Spanish originally, wasn't it? I don't know. Is it is it? Was it? I, I think it is. Um, There's just little, little parts are in Spanish, not the majority of it. Ah, uh, right. Well, they they put a... What about The Last Kingdom? Uh, worth it again, is that? There's a new season coming up, I think. And there's a new season of Ozark coming up. Ah, uh, right. Yeah. Now, I caught a thing called Cut Bank the other, other night. Cut Bank. Um, a bit like the Coen Brothers stuff. They always have um, small town weirdos somebody tries on something, a caper gone wrong, uh, all of that kind of stuff. Um, one of these days, you, you will have amassed enough and probably have already to start thinking of writing fiction or something. Yeah, if there's enough time in the day to write fiction. What I've started to do now is publish um, books for other people. So about 12 of our true crime guests are publishing the books for me now. For anyone out there who's published and wants a republishing, done. Oh, and we are doing a few books from scratch. Hard-hitting, true crime only, then get in touch. Gadfly Press. Mm, yes, your story should have a, as much action in it as possible. Things happen to from people. From page one. From page one. In fact, the most interesting thing that ever happened to you is an event. And surprising, put it on page one. Anyway, <laughs> leave it to Sean. He knows his way around, and you'll probably, in fact, certainly get a better deal from him than a standard publishers. You know, I know people who even still have agents. <laughs> I ran across um, um, a guy called Peter Tritton. He ended up doing, uh, what was it, nine years? Yeah, in, his Vice um, videos gone mm, viral, hasn't it? Yes, it had. And Posh it, Pete. Well, he's sort of looking a bit uh, kind of puny Pete at the moment Is because um, uh, what tuberculosis that he picked up. From uh, that foreign prison experience mm. yeah that was it's still uh, eating away at him um but uh, i'm going to do a um, a skype call with him um uh, is that going to go on your channel it? it'll go on the Excellent. channel so it'll probably be 
I mean, all the other things I put there, you would want to stick on yours. Is he at a secret location these days? Um, He was for about a year. He had completely innocently happened to be at somebody's place when the door got kicked in. Oh. You know, that happens. (laughs) And so he went quiet after a while there. Mm. But um, he had a book out, uh, unwisely titled something uh, in Spanish like... uh, El Infierno, in hell. Yeah. And, of course, um, it's like scientists who write books. If they put a, a mathematical symbol in the book anywhere, uh, it'll go no place. So mm. Who's that floppy head? Manchester twat. Um, scientist. He uh, published E equals MC squared. It sold. Nobody read it. But, you know, <laughs> So, where was I last time? Now You're out on bail in Karachi. Mm. Okay. Um, what was I doing there? I was facing two sets of charges over the same incident where one of my old pals found himself arrested there with a few kilos of heroin and couldn't think of anybody to blame except for me. So, he talked me up, and that's why I ended up in the prison and kind of mistreated there, Uh, not so much in the prison, but by the arresting police. But finally, it came to trial, and I was acquitted by an honest judge. Well, as I've explained before, all the proceedings are in English in Indian and Pakistan courts, something that takes people by surprise. And I think it's been a beneficial thing, because there's all that... History, isn't there, of the golden thread of British justice. So when they word their judgments, if there's no evidence, you, you should get out of it. That 20000 I paid had nothing to do with the outcome of the, his ruling. So um, I then was facing the other, it was kind of like a, a federal charge of the same thing, had to get bail on that. An Air Force captain um, that I'd met in one of the prisons arranged for the bail, I was bailed out. And even that wasn't easy. As I said, they just didn't want to let me go. And here I was, a free man. But here's the thing, Sean. Oddly enough, uh, in a life full of being pursued and, and, and chased and imprisoned, the most relaxing moments are when I'm kind of stuck in some foreign place or foreign to me. Uh, and I can't really move, so I have to just enjoy it. And and that's what I did. I moved into the penthouse apartment of a friend. Now, the, the friend, Robbie the Scot, he was on bail too on some a banking fraud case. Down on the coast in Pakistan, there's Gwada Port, and long has been the plan to run a pipeline um, all the way from Kyrgyzstan down through Afghanistan to that port and scoop up all the natural gas that you can collect along the way. And financing that thing was going to require about $5 billion. So Robbie steps in, a man who can arrange a bit of finance, should you ever have such an enterprise, and was um, part of it required uh, guarantors, so there are a, 
all kind of European property and hotels and, and other things were put up as um, guaranteeing not the five billion, you could never find enough property for that, but probably about 250 million in um, part of the loan that had to be repaid no matter what under different terms. Unfortunately for Robbie, just about the time that was going through, a couple of City of London policemen were there on another mission and uh, looked at the documents that were part of this because some competing policemen uh, had been called by the bank. On top of the facts that was part of the guarantee papers was a fax header. Now, fax machines have gone with the wind, thank God, but they used to include the origin source of the fax machine and tiny little print across the top. Mm. Now, instead of the uh, Habib Bank in Zurich, it read Pearl Continental Hotel Karachi. Is not good. It kind of throws a, a spanner in the works there. So Robbie found himself being charged with uh, you know, fraudulently raising this money. He was bailed out himself. But being a man who puts together uh, big deals, you have to look like a man who puts together big deals. So he went down to Clifton Beach. Sounds kind of English? I suppose so, because everybody spoke it down there. But in fact, it's uh, a very well-known and posh suburb of Karachi. And there is a beach and a few kind of tired-looking camels schlep up and down to uh, take the kids around the place. Um and it was also the, the home territory of Benazir Bhutto, one of Pakistan's prime ministers. She uh, assassinated, I uh, don't know which, whose bomb it was. They probably all <laughs> threw in their own couple of pound of Semtex in there to you know, contribute to it. Her husband did get the blame, but I guess he was innocent because he later on became the president of Pakistan, even though he was two doors down from me in Karachi Central Jail. And a complete miser, too, I should add. His Bangladeshi cook couldn't wait to get out of the place. <laughs> um, Robbie had um, about six rooms in this penthouse. I took one of them. And was, as I say, very relaxed. I got a big camera. I ran around taking pictures of all those tangled cables you get in the, in the big city there. Um, started touring the countryside, um, saw my captain friend. And then, I think I'd mentioned, but not given a huge amount of detail, um, when I was in the, the jail just before my release, it's called Landy Prison, I'd come across um, an Englishman. His name was David also. Uh, not also, but David. <laughs> And he was facing two tons of hash accusation with the notorious drug organizer Akbar Shah. Akbar Shah is the man you go to if you want anything arranged from just about anywhere in that part of the world into Pakistan. And he could do it. Indeed, he could. Unfortunately for Akbar, if you give him the money for the deal, anything other than two and point five seconds before it's about to take place, Akers will be straight into a casino and blow the lot. 
Now, this one went sour for some reason, but not to do with Akbar's carelessness exactly. It was a bit of a mystery. This David had been sent over from London. Uh, he was a jeweler, by the way, and quite a good one. To meet the waiter from Dubai who had the connection for the two tons of hash, and it was heading off to a country that I can't name because somebody could kind of put that together. And that's the trouble, uh, even though I sound like I'm rabbiting on, I'm very carefully selecting what clues I give the uh, opposition because you never know. There might be some retired plot out there who <laughs> likes a crossword puzzle on a Sunday. <laughs> so I had spoken to uh, this David, who was firmly in the clutches of old Akbar there, you know, advised him to do nothing, just wait, wait it out. Every, the biggest to the lowest in this country, they make themselves comfortable and, and wait it out. Nope, he was in a hurry and uh, arranged money from home. So what's that got to do with me? Well, um, his uh, wife was uh, on the phone to me and when I was in Clifton Beach and to Robbie, because we were outside and we could help. But really what we were trying to do was to prevent her from selling the family home in Croydon uh, and sending loads of money. Explained very clearly that if you send money for a start, that's it, it's gone. doesn't matter who it was, to where, to when. You can come here with some money and you don't need much and, and help. But she was uh, insisting on, on coming over to help him. And she did. So I um, I was waiting to get some new passports and even one in my own name. I, I don't know quite where I saw the logic of that, but I think I wanted to test the waters to see whether the Interpol warrants had been lifted. Uh, short answer to cut a, a couple of steps ahead. No, they damn well hadn't been. The uh, Thailand escape thing was still floating around. So with this time on my hands, um, even though I tried to put her off, uh, nonetheless she was determined to come, and arrived with um, their two daughters, who were 12 and 7 at the time, um, little Ellie and slightly older Sophia. So <laughs> I go to the airport and uh, to pick them up, and they come come out like they're on holiday or something like that. And trolleys, all you know, twisted wheels, you can imagine Karachi Airport, all those um, uh, airport touts trying to descend on them you know, to eat them alive. And um, I, I picked them up and we'd arranged a hotel for them. I say the little girls looked up at me and looked kind of disappointed. I think I'd been talked up, um, but... Uh, because of all, all the history, but um, that uh, my harshest critics are the most realistic ones at that age. They're very realistic. <laughs> uh, had them secured um, and arranged a better hotel than the one that Robbie had, had got for them, someplace a bit out of town. It's the Carlton down by the marina, if you're ever there. Um, it's owned by the military and so very peaceful. You won't, you won't get any trouble from there. Do they let you in if you've got an Interpol record? They don't care if you've got an LP record of the 
Sergeant Peppers and bootleg. They'll let you. Uh, they really, really don't mind that. Run by an Austrian, um, where it was uh, back at that time. Uh, but uh, Norjon, uh, who'd uh, found me when I was in a dungeon in Hyderabad prison and got my case back on the rails so that I could be found not guilty and released. He um, was at a kind of loose end. And now this is a man, uh, you might recall, who was still on uh, a never-ending case that was, I think, 14 years old at the time, still running in the courts, of the September 30 massacre where 130 people died. He had his own bits of smuggling and interests, um, everything from little illegal stills to um, solving problems for people, which usually involved the very dry deserts of Baluchistan, <laughs> that kind of problem solving. But um, he had some mutual friends who had uh, put up their houses as a guarantee um, and then not been, you couldn't contact them. But sure enough, their signatures were on these guarantee things for these properties. Oh, and they also put a, a thumbprint down there uh, as well. So they, they must have been alive, we all assume, uh, for that to be going on. A meeting was arranged. Now, you can imagine this new John with his retinue, with his... Uh, protectors, and he, the other leader wasn't tribal at all. He was kind of Sindhi province, uh, oh, another cutthroat. And they all have their own political party. You can imagine if you're, um, I suppose there's comparisons with Russia here, you know, they're, they're gangsters, but they, they're politicians uh, at the same time. Um, I went to the so-called peace brokering meeting with Noorjohn and a very um, dark-eyed guy. He looked a bit like, who was that um, that terrorist that ended up being waterboarded 130 times or something? Um, Sharif was his name? I don't know. Anyway, he was supposedly involved in 9-11 um, uh, bombing. But he had that, he looked very similar to him. Now, you don't have to follow... Um, Cindy or Urdu too well to know when a meeting's not going really great. Um, so I thought, well, I'll leave this in a very dank house, uh, heavy curtains, heavy furniture. Now, the fact that there was plastic covering over all the sofas didn't mean anything like it might mean in uh, Mexico. It was just that they protect their, their furniture that way. So I went for a bit of a wander around the house, um, supposedly looking for the toilet. Um, kind of looking for any helpful clues um, as to whether something really bad was going to happen then. It seemed not. There was a couple of the other guys, men, who were bottling up some local vodka. Um, but they must have been kind of uh, low rent, you know, Norjohn's uh, hooch. At least had labels on it. This stuff just had smoky, barely cleaned out, reused bottles. And... Um, uh, and there were a few in a fridge, and in the freezer side, there were a bunch of looked like pigeons or something. I, I, I remember asking after the meeting, Lord John, if there were um, there was any game fowl around, um, but they all just looked puzzled to me. Um, 
and, and why am I saying this? This has some significance later on. Um, <clears throat> the uh, supposedly peace was made, and uh, I then went to um, keep with Norjon for a couple of days. Uh, I'd been up to Lahore and then to Faisalabad to to look at things, um, and was then called away by the Air Force captain. I said, uh, they would, I found just what you want. Um, a place where you can be, do any kind of business you like. So we all set off to Afghanistan, crossed over the border in the, uh, at, um, uh, not along the coast, but up a bit uh, west from uh, Quetta. Into there, we had... Uh, what I'm sure was somebody else from the army with us, and I'm sure was also somebody who had connections with, to use the word terrorists is probably wrong. I mean, um, a powerful group. What does it mean? And terrorist is the word we, we put on people who are, you know, um, the organizers of halfwits who will strap on a vest and go and get themselves killed. But, um, when we got over the border, uh, I was taken to a small town, and you could see that there was almost nothing there. The The people um, barely came out. But I was assured that I could um, set up any operation I want, any kind, even build a landing strip. Now, here's the thing. I didn't really want to do very much of this at this stage. I mean, I've had two decades of endless warring. But um, some of these people have helped me, and the strategy, of course, is to um, appear a little bit interested. But I did, uh, here's a tester. For any of you out there who feel like you're in a very strange place and you can't tell anything, but all the people around you are giving you great assurances, you know what you do? You ask. You feel like going for a walk in the local town. They'll all go rigid <laughs> and won't like the idea much, but you insist because what did you say to me, Captain? That I am law here? Well, first rule of law is to go for a stroll, <laughs> um, which I did and was kind of attracted to some fizzing noises behind um, a large steel compound um, shed. When I say steel, corrugated tin, but kind of painted black. And walking through the slits, I could see some young guys um, looking rather conservative, you know, black outfits again, having fun and games with a long, well, industrial eyedropper. They're about two foot long, putting drops of something or other into uh, a large rubbish bin lid or tray, and it goes bang and explodes and all of that. Hmm. Okay. So I took that in. Um, wished everybody well, went back to town. Now, the next person that uh, these memories have significance to is when I was at the Hyatt Hotel picking up my dry cleaning. Now, everybody who's anybody gets their dry cleaning done at the Hyatt <laughs> Hotel because everywhere else they just take your clothes, spray a bit of petrol over it and put it through the press. But the Hyatt actually has dry cleaning solution. 
the kind of tips you learn when you're a local. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and I ran across Jeremy, the uh, from um, one of the vice consuls from the British High Commission in Karachi. Uh, Jeremy, yeah, got a few minutes. My uh, dry cleaning's not ready. Uh, is that what you're here for, the dry cleaning, or just to snoop on people <laughs> in the foyer? So we chatted for a few minutes, and I said, um, Jeremy, look, it, uh, <clears throat> it's very hard to pass on a message without being questioned as to why you're passing on this message. And if you're suspicious about the messenger, fine. But here it is for what it's worth. I was doing a bit of a cook's tour of the area and beyond the area, you could say, beyond the, uh, the borders. And I came across some young men. And you know what they were doing? What? They were having some fun with uh, uh, peroxide and uh, sodium permanganate because it's what the... Um, you remember, it, it wasn't the, the v, uh, V2 rocket, but the Messerschmitt during the war put out a, a kind of fast launch little rocket that was supposed to go up and shoot at planes. It, it never, I mean, it did get off the ground, but really landed in one piece. It used what they called, uh, I think it was Bistoff and Zistoff, which was a combination of liquid fuels. If you put them together, they explode. Um, and hydrogen peroxide is one, and uh, the sodium permanganate is another. And I was pretty sure that's what it was, because they're relatively, not so easy to get, they're, they're possible to get in, in industrial quantities. Um, and what's it to him, said Jeremy? Well, the thing is, it does occur to me that if you were of this kind of persuasion, and you wanted to get onto a plane, for example, uh, with something that wasn't metal and wasn't in itself an explosive, uh, you could strap on a couple of jellied containers of this, and as soon as you tear something or rip something and the two bits meet together, that would be the end of that plane. Now, you'd think, wouldn't you, that... Um, having tipped somebody who's got his ear to the, the spook central um, would think this you know worth doing something about. When he gave me a very suspicious look, I said, look, frankly, the reason I'm telling you this is because if there's anything to it, and if it comes to anything, can you imagine what it's like for a smuggler to get on a plane? There'll be a bit of checking going on, don't you think? Um, so, you know, I had perfectly, you know, valid reasons for bringing this up. Um, but as far as I know, absolutely nothing was done with that information. And it doesn't surprise me because almost every time, whether it be the DEA and drugs or um, Western investigation agencies, they're all running their own games, their own private business, their own power struggles within their agencies. <clears throat> they, they're not seekers of truth or something new. If it was something, if I would told him that at the, the British High Commission in, uh, in uh, Islamabad that um, 
uh, Sarah, the secretary, was was on with the uh, the head consul there. Um, then that would have been something he would have soaked up. But um, you know, I, I kind of left the Hyatt with my dry cleaning, thinking oh, I've broken my own rule here, which is that T-shirt that says almost everything is not worth saying, and and certainly uh, that wasn't particularly. Um, but um, I had uh, quite a few things to do in my little relaxed life. I had uh, Jeanette and the two girls to more or less entertain. I, I brought them round to the uh, <clears throat> the penthouse and made them a chicken dinner. You know, you had to buy the chickens locally. I don't know if you've ever done it in... Uh, I don't think they do in Mexico or South America. But when you go to uh, buy a chicken for cooking in Karachi, you go to the market and the chickens are all running around in a cage. Uh, nobody local would ever buy one that I hadn't seen running around in a cage. Who knows what it might be or how sick it is. So uh, I tried to, um, I, I knew what was coming next. You buy the chicken, the guy cuts its throat and bleeds it off in a big 44 gallon. So my idea of lightening it in for the, the little girls didn't work terribly well because I gave all the chickens names. Mm. <laughs> and when I selected that one, mm. I'm sure all the other chickens ran over to the other side mm. of the cage. They knew what the pointing finger meant. <laughs> That's the end of that mm. chicken. And the chicken I'd chosen, um, I called Joe. No offense there. Um, <clears throat> he... Uh, <laughs> he didn't seem to know what was going on. Mm. And the dumber chickens were sort of saying, oh, what, what, what's happening with Joe? <laughs> you know? no, there was no Joe. There was never any Joe. So Joe gets pulled out of this thing, uh, head cut off, bled out, because that uh, makes it sort of kosher or, you know, mm. hal um, halal, yes. Um, and then stripped of its entire skin. Oh, you don't pluck the feathers. The, all, the whole skin goes off, uh, feathers and all. That's thrown back into this horrible oil drum, which has got chicken's heads in it and plenty of flies. And next minute, you've got two plastic bags, one with the chicken um, meat on it and the other one with the giblets still warm. Mm. Did they eat my roast chicken? Oddly enough, they did. Mm. <laughs> so there was um, a very strange life in in the country at that time. I'm still not free to go. I haven't got the documentation. Some days I'm with, um, you know, in the penthouse being all civilized, and the next minute I'm out in some kind of weird place. Um, in fact, I'd, I'd looked around for people that um, might make um, Jeanette a bit less nervous of being, but she wasn't at all. I don't think... Um, I don't think she felt any fear. You know, people would be fearful that they might be grabbed or robbed or something like that. Now, that really couldn't happen in the kind of places we were. Um, but uh, the closest I could find for um, company, at the, the hairdresser at the Hotel Carlton was a, a, a woman, Mira. Um, she kind of did this as a hobby. But we went to her house and her husband, and they were 
kind of Karachi aristocracy, big Palladian white mansion somewhere. But they were uh, kind of a bit witchy. Jeanette and I had got the idea that these people were um, sorcerers in their spare time. And really? sort of... Uh, made jokes did you ever see rosemary's baby oh yes that was one of the very first horror movies i ever watched when the, you know the neighbors uh, were roman and uh, i forget the woman's name but they had them over for dinner mm. the, the new couple and they'd taken pictures off the wall and there were kind of pale spots where you could see pictures had been taken mm. off the wall and there's were well, some in this house so something had come down you know and uh, when the hairdresser woman was saying she didn't like somebody, you know, gesturing to Jeanette, cuts the hair off in the salon, <laughs> takes the hair, makes the spell. Um, oh, and there was a visiting her husband uh, down at the um, uh, in court. Now he should have been going to court as I was as a B class prisoner, which of those who weren't there when I was explaining that, is uh, A-class is only political, but B-class, you don't have handcuffs. You don't have chains. You have uh, your own servants in the prison, and there are other prisoners, of course. Um, and your guard is more of to guard your safety against riffraff who might come and importune upon you in the courtroom or environs, which is, you know, there are a lot of would-be lawyers there. Uh, but... Um, Jeanette's husband was not like this. He was still handcuffed, uh, literally and figuratively, to Akbar Shah. And I kind of looked at Akbar. I thought, now what's what's going on? Why, why isn't he organized? I mean, he was living right out of the prison. He had his own kind of room and his own people. But uh, <laughs> His wife was outside, Akbar Shah's wife, controlling the purse strings and wasn't letting him have much money. So I kind of wondered whether £20,000 went to that had already been sent over to take care of things. Um, I think it was a psychological thing to keep uh, David, who was facing this two tons of hash charge, well under thumb, let the chain stay on. Let the conditions be a bit tough. Don't make him feel like he can wait it out. Because he, back in the cell at night, he was kind of winding him up a bit, saying, we have to act now, and we, no, nobody says that. You have to have lunch now. You don't act anywhere. Um, and David was kind of um, embarrassed, I guess, uh, and was almost kind of giggling, but organizing... Um, his shopping and you know, when it was needed for the day. Um, and, I oh, I didn't show myself that day. I was lurking in the shadows. I thought it would be more embarrassing, don't you think? If you, you've met some guy in prison, his wife's come over to, let's say you're in Mexico, uh, you're taking care of the wife in an honest sort of way. You don't want to go down to the, and, and watch him, chained up and say, yeah, look at me, I've got out, I've got your wife. Let them get on with it. If you want to see that nothing untowards happens, you have to lurk in the shadows for that one, uh, which is what I, I did. Um, <clears throat> but um, 
Anyway, uh, they seemed to be enjoying themselves. The pool was nice at the Carlton Hotel. Um, I didn't meet Noor John <clears throat> down at uh, one of his little investments, which was um, a subway branch mm. uh, franchise down there. And uh, Cameron was with us, who is his kind of chief bodyguard, though a bit suspiciously tangled up in the, the nephew going missing. But that's the way it is here, isn't it? I mean, in, in the last, what, 15 minutes, I've talked about five or six sets of people, all with different motives. Everything they're showing is for a different purpose. But that night at Subway, it wasn't anything but the most clear purpose which was shown. Nor John and I were down, you know, the kind of long corridor affairs, the subway shop. We were down at a table which is anchored to the ground. Uh, facing the door is... <laughs> Do you find yourself doing that? You go into a place, you, you have ended up with the seat facing the door? My preference is back to the wall facing the door, probably. Do you ever check out the uh, exits anymore? We're not worried about the way out the back. No, I've calmed down enough not to look for exits. Mm. Well, <laughs> my break and I'll have it. <clears throat> Which is what I had not done that night. Um, even though I didn't have to go to the loo, I went out the back to see that there really wasn't one uh, there. Remember, Noor John had just made peace with somebody. That's when you're, you're most dangerous. Mm. A man came in... Uh, and it's something about him uh, didn't look like a subway customer. Oh, he wasn't you know, carrying a machine gun or anything, but he looked like he was there concentrating heavily on where he was. Oh, and by the way, we were the only two down the back and Cameron sitting on the stool towards the front, and he didn't bother to even look down the back. I mean, that's not good. Noor John was alert to all of this, too, and I could see his hand going down uh, into his um, shalwa kameez. Uh, Oops. Uh, just telling me uh, time is on the march. Is and, it possible to put it on silence? Uh, yes. I didn't think it was going to do anything else. We don't that. want a 7 a p.m. one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> The man who had walked in the door did a, uh, a kind of phony, oh, my ankle's gone a bit, and kind of bumped into Cameron. And that was it. We knew it was on. Uh, I'm thinking I can't get under this table fast enough and trying to imagine how thick it is, you know. And, but uh, I'm heading for the slide. It's a really bad position for Nurjohn because he can't, even if he can get to his, uh, he had an automatic uh, browning, even if he can get to it, he couldn't really get it out in time. So he was joining me in the sliding down. Um, Cameraman had, had been spun off his stool. This guy had a gun out. It was a revolver, much more reliable, and started um, shooting straight into where Norton's head was about a fraction of a second before. Um, but... Um, what I was starting to think is, is it just some nutter that he's offended in some past life or something because th that's not the way they do it. They're not, not one person. Um, uh, Nurjohn and I, under the table, uh, 
were could hear that everything was you know, Cameron was back on his feet. He'd had to twist it. He had the the revolver and would twist it, and I could hear gristle and sinew go crunch crunch. So I guess that was the the gunman's hand out of the way. Uh, and we got out, and then you know everything transforms. You look at where you are, and this is suddenly your bunker. Uh, the street is where the enemy is. It was uh, twilight, evening, plenty of shoppers around, busy, noisy. Uh, no John, I thought, was looking to the back, but he wasn't. He was just uh, gathering his thoughts, I guess. And I, I told him there's no way out that way. Uh, we're going. And he stood up quite calmly, um, put his gun back uh, into his uh, shoulder and his trousers pocket. But he left his hand in there, so, um, and started walking towards the front. Well, Cameron, his bodyguard, was having words with um, the, the former, now handless, <laughs> gunman, uh, pointing at the virtues of the butt of the gun with his face. Um, and one of the diners seemed to have got something in the knee, but that wasn't a, a real concern. Lord John, when I did offer, though I don't think he was listening to me, that, look, send Whitey out first because I'm not a target. Maybe I can see what's going on. And I was starting to think maybe that wasn't such a good idea. Um, but he wasn't paying any attention and just strolled towards the, the front of the door. Um, as I got to the front of the door, uh, the original revolver was on the ground. I emptied that and then looked out to where Norjohn was and then started to take in the street. Now, an ordinary evening street transforms completely into something else when you're expecting um, trouble. Every car has to kind of justify its purpose and existence. If it's a taxi, fine, but who's the driver? And what's in the back? Is it a real one or not? And surprisingly quickly, you can distinguish between families shoppers, um, people who work in the area, uh, people who are slinking back into their shops, people who, I mean, nobody would have been forewarned. But even I could see that there was a car about 30 feet away that had too many people in it, mm -hmm. too many young guys in it. And another one down the other side that was also wrong. But... Um, Maybe it was experience uh, watching somebody like Norjon, but uh, he kept the same pace and went straight across the road to uh, a fabric shop. Now, they, they kept, uh, when I say rolls, they're not really rolls of cloth. Um, they're, um, I think they call them bolts, don't they? They're kind of flat pieces rolled up. And he was smiling and, and picking some up. But what? I realized he, a couple of seconds later that he really wanted was some kind of body protection. He picked up two of these. Now, a bullet won't go through two of those. Well, not straight anyway. So the guy they sent into the, to the shop uh, started, fired once then, was professional enough not to waste his bullets and, and was trying to look for a better shot, but it was too late. Lord John got him. Um, then it was a bit, um, a, a little bit uh, chaotic because 
Cameron had alerted some of Norjohn's guys who always loiter about. And they met the, the, the three guys in the car down the road. They met them straight on and descended on them. So as they were trying to get out of the car, they kept kicking the car doors. Um, so then, you know, what are they going to do? Shoot their way through the car. We know time's running out. Two that were in the other car up the other end um, had thought this hasn't gone well. We've lost two. The ones in the who've got the serious firepower um, uh, can't do anything or can't get out of the car, um, and they've decided to to go. But instead of going, and maybe this is wise. Um, it's hard to say. Instead of uh, trying to get a car, I mean, there's traffic. You're not going to be able to drive away fast anywhere. This is not like a, a normal street. This car is now a burden. All it is is a bag of evidence for somebody to pour over at this stage. Of course, we're not talking about the uh, Pakistan and Karachi police. Uh, their idea of fingerprints is something that you carry on a piece of sticky tape that you apply to things. <laughs> you don't find them off somebody. Um, the, I kind of lost track a bit because I missed something I would have liked to have seen. Uh, Norjohn's men had um, disabled the, the, and the, the bit of shooting, but the, the three guys in the car were, were out to it. Uh, the, the driver in that one was killed first, and uh, they held one, um, but he started making a lot of screaming about something, which one of, another one of Norjohn's men took as just a nuisance and finished him off. Norjohn came back. He must have seen the two that decided against going on with this take what they'd planned as a way out. There were four um, kind of alleyways that must have gone somewhere down there. And Norjohn um, went down, um, uh, picked up one of the guns that the, uh, the some kind of homemade um, you know, Raul Pindi gun shot, um, automatic, you know, jams on the third shot type gun, and headed off down the, the alleyway there. Um, and so um, the the guy, everybody involved is, is starting to think where is a good place to be in a few minutes because I mean, the police don't exactly rush towards anything, but they, you know, they're not that bad. They will turn up sooner or later. Um, I wasn't going to go down a blind alley after where Norjohn had gone, um, besides which uh, I don't know where whose noise was what, whether it was shooting or, or just racket. Um, but within a couple of minutes, he, he, he came back. Um, a little bit of claret on him there, a bit red on the old white shoulder camis. But um, there was no more heard from any of those guys that went down in the alley. I just hope it was he got the right ones. Um, and everybody was kind of starting to relax. The um, the I think there was one left alive from the, the car of three, if I can put it that way. And he'd been taken into um, one of the shops to be hidden away for later use. Um, the, the other two guys, uh, Norjohn's men, were uh, kind of searching around, checking people out. And you could very 
um, he's, I mean, you start to distinguish between people who are uh, terrified, but most don't know what's going on at all. If it's very crowded and very busy, as it was, and very noisy, most people are missing everything um, because it's spread about and there's altercations. Um, the uh, Some uh, police started to turn up, but luckily it was a um, reasonably high-ranking one who happened to be nearby, so there wasn't going to be any trouble out of that. Uh, the last thing he... he you know, the police would be been interfering in any of this. Um, Little John still had his uh, um, automatic in his hand, which he then moved to put back in his pocket. Some, and this is the factor you can never count on, some new half-wit, middle-class, non-entity policeman has walked in late on that, seen that, chief of police, or it wasn't chief, but a high-ranking one, um, frowning because of listening to what's going on, nor John moving with this gun in his hand and shot him in the back. This non-entity policeman has shot him and what was a very clear and unmissable shot in the back uh, with his own pistol. Uh... I, did, I think the, the one who looked most horrified was the deputy chief of police who you know, almost shot the, uh, the, this young policeman but certainly started screaming at him. Well, <clears throat> this is not the place where um, um, you can just whistle up an ambulance. Um, you've got to kind of... Uh, fight your way out of that area anyway just to get anything. Uh, and, and if somebody's injured, you can't throw them over your shoulder and get on a motorbike, which is just about your only way out. But um, cars were found, Nord John was put in the back of it and off to the infection center, <laughs> the hospital he goes. Uh, and everybody else kind of decided they thought of something pressing that they needed to do. Uh, <clears throat> I uh, I checked in later on um, with uh, Iftikhar to see how he was, but um, even though all the early reports were ridiculously optimistic, he he died of what <gasps> is a septicemia a few days later. The death of no John mm. for all these episodes. I know, and in such a stupid way. In such a stupid way. Mm. <gasps> Within five days, the story was already tangled. It wasn't anything like that. It was, I said to Robbie, uh, uh, the Scot, I said, you heard what happened. Yeah, I heard he got caught in the crossfire. I said, no, John, is the crossfire. He's not. Oh, anyway, what about mind. the cop that did it? I wouldn't have liked to have been him. Oh, <laughs> uh, oh man, after all I these episodes, he, uh, I can't believe I'm hearing. Yeah, yeah. He's been with us for 20 years, hasn't he? <gasps> Um, and there wasn't, I, I hadn't gone to the, the, the hospital apart from to get a report. Um, but, and I was a bit naive still. I mean, you things happen, but there's always some naivete about things. Does that mean there's a new leader now of that clan <clears throat> after him, his um, demise? There's a new leader step he, up. 
Oh, is there a competition you for the new somebody leadership? somebody who'd been um, the most uh, significant figure for 20, 30 years. Um, there was nobody that he, he'd ever led forward and said, you know, I'm teaching this young man everything I know or um, in some ways. And he'd spent a fair bit of time locked up as well. So... Um, Does that then sever your like relationship? You had this loyalty to Norjan. You went looking for his nephew, or whatever. Does this then sever your relationship with that clan, kind of? Um, in a way, really, uh, because I'd met so many of the side branches when I was looking for Iftika that, of course, you know, we're we're all human beings, and so you don't. None of us are cold enough, I guess. Bet you Donald Trump would be to cut somebody off instantaneously that uh, there wouldn't be uh, uh, any any real point and only jeopardy by continuing onwards. But um, yeah, I, I kept in touch with Bits for a while, and uh, if the guy's still alive today. Um, but it did make, <clears throat> and also here's another thing: uh, <clears throat> there isn't really the same kind of leadership uh, these days that there there was then. <clears throat> this was about, this was just the turning of the millennium after all. Um, and um, and you, you don't get people who kind of grown up in the edges and uh, I don't mean intense, but certainly in you know, rural areas and in, in Places that are isolated. Um, Iftikhar's children are all university graduates, and they've all—they're all in businesses. Okay, uh, you could go to um, a Baluchi uh, wedding or um, some big family event, and you'd still see lots of people. And and I have no doubt there would be somebody that would be nominally the head of the clan, but. Um, they they weren't so uh, much arch you know, criminals and cutthroats as today that they, they would have been then. Um, the only, though I was kind of curious um, about one thing, and I went to my uh, FOS captain friend to, um, because I, I just, I really wanted to know whether it was that, um, Karachi leader that I met that night that was behind it. It seemed obviously so. Um, but um, I finally had uh, some proof of that uh, about two weeks before I, I left uh, Karachi at all. Uh, do you remember <clears throat> I was when I was poking around at the uh, big uh, little suburban summit there, peacemaking, uh, meeting in the house, and I found the two guys making some hooch down there, and looked in the fridge. But in the freezer, Chickens. they had these uh, what looked like pigeons, pigeons, um, all wrapped up in kind of cling film or something like it. Um, and the whole issue was that people had gone missing, having signed over lots of property, and were still signing over things. So they must have been alive, and they were not pigeons. They were their hands. 
they'd been cut off, and to my quick glance, I'd mistaken the thing entirely for some kind of uh, edible fowl. But what happens when you freeze a body part, even if it is, uh, you know, you um, a light brown skin color? Uh, once frozen for a while, it's not light brown anymore. And that what is that little pigeon like to you? Just color it white now. <clears throat> I uh, I guess there's only so many times you can thaw it out and use a recognizable thumbprint on that one. <clears throat> so uh, if any of you are wondering who was to blame for that, well, he had to take responsibility. That uh, that guy who was the little boss of that section of, um, I forget the suburb's name in um, Karachi, but I'll think of it. Um, he uh, met with an accident, you will not be surprised to know. Um, <clears throat> and uh, had organized the, uh, the little assassination that, because I think Norjohn had always known that uh, these people were dead. I just couldn't really quite explain how they um, continued to be, you know, signing for things. Um, so we probably would have taken action anyway, so it was better to get in early. But fatally, as it turned out, it was um, the right place, probably the right time, the wrong people. <laughs> um, good assassins I had to get. So it did kind of close down... Um, section for me of, um, uh, I wouldn't say of that life, but of, of that world. You didn't get embroiled in the aftermath of his death? Um, not really. I stayed uh, in touch with only the relatives that I'd known who were kind of looking for a more peaceful life. The ones that had been, um, had careers, had some education. You know, they had ambitions beyond um, sitting on a little pretend throne down in Baluchistan somewhere. And not only that, even the, the ways of the smugglers had, down on the Makaran coast had changed a bit. Instead of using those dows and skiffs and things, they were just um, loading things onto containers at various ports. Um, they were still... <clears throat> I had a, a quite a good offer of... Uh, uh, an exporter of uh, oil, um, palm oil and things that uh, could go around the world that in those tins could be whatever I liked. Um, but I don't know, uh, between the arrest there, being thrown in the dungeons, tortured under there, getting out of two cases uh, and everything else and... You know, Norjohn had been my kind of last resort protector, I guess you could say. Um, yeah, I couldn't, I could barely trust him, truth be told. But, you know, I, I knew the way, what his outlook was, and he had a certain ability. There'd be, there was nothing that I could, uh, oh, I still had, I guess, the, uh, the forces people, and they're always pretty reliable. But they do have this kind of inbuilt policy of um, getting all your enemies or competitors all fighting against each other, and that can always go badly. I suppose um, <clears throat> even when um, 
in your dealings with uh, uh, with Mexican or New Mexican mafia, there is there that habit of uh, dealing with competitors by making trouble for them and setting them against each other, or or they don't make more mess than they've already got. So, if I was dealing with one clique, I wouldn't go with the competition. I would just stay with them. Mm. Otherwise, I'd be in trouble. Mm. <laughs> but they didn't actively <clears throat> go out making trouble for their competitors. Well, they didn't even I, I see them as competitors. I wouldn't have um, ability to have any knowledge of that. Mm. They wouldn't broadcast that if they did. No, I suppose not. Uh, and the only way you would know is if you heard sort of odd stories about misfortunes that uh, happened to them. It's like 48 laws of power, isn't it? I know that uh, when the Median and Cali cartels are going against each other, mm. some the DEA were receiving reports of cocaine on a certain ship. Mm. They were snitching each other out on the loads at one point when they were at war. Um, yeah, that's not unusual. Uh, that does happen. That certainly happens uh, <clears throat> amongst the Russians in dealing with stuff outside of Russia. Mm. Uh, not so much um, in there because it, it, it makes a real mess. But um, I had also in my address book about this time um, the Russians that I'd met who'd have been uh, in the Karachi and Hyderabad prison. Oh, I love the These are the, the ones stories who, of the uh, Russians. Um, <clears throat> for those who don't know, they were, Andreas had uh, at least a dozen in his uh, little gang. Uh, they were imprisoned in, in two groups because together they were too much trouble. He didn't like that. He broke out of uh, Perm 31. Uh, I think that's uh, like Prison City 31. Um hijacked a commercial jet, gone to the other prison city, collected the rest of the gang, gone to Pakistan, had 10 years there of frolics and I think 24 uh, uh, notches on the vodka bottle, <laughs> 24 people dead at uh, his group's hands, but finally sent back to, um, to Russia, into the new Russia, which was, uh, when he'd left, it was the Soviet Union. You know those old creepy old um, uh, Kremlin guys. I think one of the Andropov was dead for a few years before they admitted it, didn't they? Does that Wheel mean, out on does that mean he got a pass then if he went back to a new Soviet Union? No, I thought he, he would have. They would have forgotten about it all. Yeah, but not so. But he didn't actually serve very long. I mean, he'd hijacked a plane. <laughs> a few people sort of well died. Yeah, died the polite way. Um, but so in a way, um, I don't know, the, the Russian psyche is an unusual one. Um, I think it was a, a, a bit of a reward for being, um, having survived over there and uh, done well and killed a few and put cr crushed his own pre-molar teeth rather than submit to force feeding on a hunger strike. Up on the macho spectrum. Mm. So I think it was... Um, Endured some tortures as well, didn't he? Indeed. Uh, I think he only had about um, 
couple of years ago um, by my 2000. So uh, we would meet again, as we would. <laughs> we love a reoccurring character. Uh, yeah. Especially a Russian <laughs> gangster. Um, well, here's the thing. When um, This is jumping forward a bit, but when he, you can imagine when these old guys who were kind of under the Soviet system, now to be a, a bit of a gangster there, you had to be quite tough anyway, or have a strange kind of working relationship with the police. You know, they they, they would arrest them quite often. Uh, okay, they were corrupt and they, they would take a cut. And it was rarely in money back in the Soviet era days. It was usually goods, you know, like uh, other cooking ware or television sets or, or something because everything was always in short supply. But what, where they couldn't really adapt was the changes that had taken place they had missed out on um, the Gorbachev days, and, um, and he'd come over. What was that drunkard they had in the, the Russian White House for a while? After... Bush Junior. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm thinking in the Russian uh, White. They've got oh, a the White Russian House. White House. Uh, um, Yeltsin? Yeltsin. Boris Yeltsin. Yeltsin. Was he the drunkard was... or the next one? He, um, well, he was drunk most of the time. I think they all um, had a lot of But the, the, the U.S. Uh, jumped in and kind of protected him when he was about to be. Um, this was when the... Um, it was the Greyhead one when they had the tanks out and stuff. The, yeah, like Whitehead sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was Boris Hilton, I'm sure of it. Um, and, oh, yeah, I'm thinking of Gorbachev. Yeah, Gorbachev was sort of more like the deal maker and... and um, but it was very touch and go. I mean, the, mm. the military, uh, the U.S. did, um, well, they like to tell the story that they saved him, but I think that would take some examination of the facts <laughs> before believing that one. Um, I mean, the number of times the United States has actually um, backed up somebody um, when the pressure was on them. They usually, like everybody, I guess, um, this lets the fight go on and see who comes out the winner. But I don't think they wanted to return to um, the, uh, the the command of uh, army-controlled uh, politicians. I, I don't know really how the, the political network stood up for so many years after um, uh, Uncle Joe Stalin went and uh, Khrushchev uh, and all of that lot. I mean, there was nothing. You could, were they civilians? Yeah, sure, they weren't in the army, but... The, the army was clearly you know, the, the most powerful thing. But I think the economics of it all decided that fate. They couldn't afford that. You know, they built some massive submarine stores there. And those ones that have got the biggest submarines in the world, they, um, they've even got swimming pools inside this. And you wouldn't think having a, sploshing around in a, in a well, it's kind of like a um, jacuzzi, really. But... If you're on a submarine, that's not what your idea of uh, a break from the daily routine of uh, more water. Yeah, but apparently it's quite relaxing to do that. Um, I'd quite like one of those old subs, splash around in it myself. So, um, oh, you know the story well about the uh, South Americans who uh, were getting together a submarine. Um, the, the the guy who organized it, Misha, uh, rang them back and 
the, the uh, cartels and said, oh, one question, uh, this submarine you want, is with missiles or no missiles? <laughs> no, we don't need the extra weight. You know. <laughs> um, so uh, Andreas and the remaining guys uh, were not, this was a completely alien world where businessmen were a king and the ex-KGBs uh, uh, were now you know, company directors fighting over the oil shares of all the petrochemicals companies and um, private security uh, was as powerful um, as the old KGB was. And uh, they gave themselves a new name too. I forget what it was. It'll come to me. Um, <clears throat> so they were kind of like, um, what would you call it? Remember the old film, The Wild Munch, where the cowboys from the Old West can't adapt to, it's 1912 or something, when they're trying to uh, rob a bank and uh, the days of when you could get away with that in, in, even in the Wild West had gone. So they got hounded into the ground. And it was a bit the same way for uh, Andreas and the guys, but uh, not before, at least... Uh, I mean, I was going to kind of, I wanted more about this hijacking. I wanted as many of the survivors out so I could uh, at least get a book out of it. <laughs> uh, and my notes still are in, wrapped up in a piece of um, shoestring over in the corner uh, on all of that called uh, White Russians, you know, after the cocktail. Um, but, uh, so you're saying Andreas didn't adapt then? He, no. He, he um, messed up bad fate did he I, he did he didn't he didn't survive the only there's only and i haven't checked in a few years the guy through all that he didn't the, survive uh he, he got out of prison yeah, yeah. And, and went back to various bits of mischief but um oh you, you might ask uh uh or not <laughs> how was it i had such a um clear line of communication did i mention i think i did but only briefly, that um, the other resident of the um, apartment in Karachi, apart from Robbie the Scot, was Tatyana. Tatyana was a Russian girl from with little schoolteacherish spectacles. Um, there's a picture of her flopping around on my website somewhere, if you're curious. DavidMacMillan.com? .net. Yeah. .net. Yeah. And... Um, where had uh, where had Robbie found her? Well, there were visits. The women's prison in Karachi Central was just next door. You could go there, even <laughs> you could. Uh, Robbie said, to me, "Oh, you, Sunday, you want to go over in women's prison for what? <laughs> See what's going on? Talk to the girls? Mm, no, day of rest. Worship the Lord and all His works." Well, I didn't need any more complications in my life, but uh, Robbie did not. Mind a few complications, and one of the things he got, he was so enthusiastic about getting all the drug runners out of prison was that he'd met Tatiana. And what was Tatiana's story? Well, she was uh, an innocent, eh, nice word to bandy around, but untested, uh, sweet-natured girl who was uh, uh, learning English in her studies in Krasnodar, which means Red City, by the way. Um, 
And uh, she came across this uh, tall, dark young man who wooed her over there. He was there on a visa as a kind of a student himself. Why was he there? Because that's about one of the few countries where a Nigerian guy at a loose end can get a visa. Yes. So uh, the next thing, this, um, was he a prince? Probably the only Nigerian I've ever heard of that wasn't one. <laughs> but still, they jail Nigerians, I mean. No offense to all you others. Yeah. Um, there was a little baby came along for Tatiana in Krasnodar. So what does uh, fearless prince, king of Lagos, decide to do? Student that he is. Why, send her and the baby over to Karachi to run two kilos of heroin <laughs> out of uh, Karachi and into God knows where for God knows what. I mean, I know, but it's it's a whole different thing amongst that group. They've got their headquarters in Rawalpindi and uh, uh, the Nigerian boys, and they've got their own games there. Um, and gullible Russian girls was one of them at this stage. Yeah, it wouldn't wash any longer. Mm. But this was um, an era that was, I don't know. I suppose the naive people in this world remain so no matter what. There's still plenty around. Um, you don't have to look far. So, uh, how did this, what was the plan? Right. Um, send the girl with the baby. She picks up the stuff. It's in a suitcase. Go to the airport. No, they won't go near her because it's a young woman with a baby. What could she possibly be doing there? Yeah. Um, well, yeah. As far as the authorities in Karachi is concerned, any policeman on the block or um, a anybody you know, in a white shirt and epaulets, all the Russian girls there were prostitutes, as far as they could tell. And um, don't go near them because they've all got AIDS. Uh, that's what they told themselves. And did it stop them? Who knows? Well, she wasn't. She was very far from that. But. Um, the sheer anomaly of what a Russian girl would be doing there with her kid uh, was bad enough, so they stopped her. And every, it was so well known what the suitcases were going to look like. Sometimes it would be um, um, a flight bag, that is the, the captain's um, um, personal briefcase. It looks a bit square, rectangular, chunky thing. All known. Uh, they knew those. They barely even had to uh, open the thing, uh, and they knew it. I, I, it just defeats me how um, a student back in uh, the good Soviet Union there could think this was a, a winnable plan. So she was in the, the women's prison, and she was also, like um, many of the people who had been originally arrested by customs facing a second charge in the anti-narcotics court. Anyway, uh, Robbie decided as a bit of a hobby to try and do something about this double jeopardy position because the Constitution uh, clearly states nobody shall be brought to trial twice for the same matters. Uh, that used to be a custom here until uh, things changed. You can be now. Mm. <laughs> 
but you can't in supposedly lawless countries like that. Then uh, that might be too, because in Britain we don't have a constitution. We just have practice, what we normally do, old chap. <laughs> yeah, and and that's getting pretty flexible too. I mean, a lot of those, uh, um, just as an aside, did you see Lord Sumption, former uh, head of the Supreme Court, talking about the uh, social distancing rules? And though I don't share this opinion, in his opinion, People should look to their health first and the law second. And that's coming from a uh, uh, former <laughs> judge of the highest court in the land. Wow. So we've relied on uh, that type of person. He's got kind of long hair, a bit of a hippie, I think. Um, as his lordship for our justice. But there they had a constitution and Robbie decided to get involved in that. So it was only kind of natural when he arranged... Uh, um, Oh, little Tatiana's uh, actual prison time had come to an end, but she was still facing, like many people, this second court hearing. Uh, that got lodged in the, the court. I think he'd arranged bail and got her out. But in any event, as with my second case, they all, they all disappeared when the Sindhai court ruled in favor. How long had Tatiana been in? at this point? Mm, not, not too bad. I, I mean, in real time, about uh, three, know, three years, nine months or something like that. So, so she still has a life was, left to live. Yeah. Now, um, she wasn't just um, clinging to a Robbie out of gratitude from, or anything. I found out years later, even though I had my cynical eye on the whole thing, she was deeply in love with him. Aye. Robbie, in, in years to come, if we're still telling these stories, um, he left her for a Ukrainian, which might be kind of personal, <laughs> nationalistic insult there, but um, she um, uh, was sent back to uh, and to Russia with the, the kid. No, the, I wonder that that's right. The baby was only in there for the first two years. That's the right. baby? Yeah. It was in the, the maternal section of Karachi Central Jail. So um, when I arrived at the penthouse, uh, Tatiana was there cleaning up uh, Robbie's act, introducing him to things like um, uh, shampoos and detergents and things that he didn't think terribly much of before then. Um, so she was part of a, a little social family along with Jeanette and the two girls. And it was only the day after, uh, well, 36 hours really, after Noorjohn's death, uh, while he was on the way to die, that I'd taken um, uh, the two little, Jeanette's two girls to the Subzimandi, which is the great vegetable market of Karachi, acres and acres of the thing. I wanted them to see um, what it was like for kids who, grow up there. And of course, a couple of little boys ran up carrying um, sacks, or kind of huge holdalls to lug around your vegetables, uh, made out of old rice sacks stitched together. And I was explaining to them that you know, these boys were born here in this marketplace. They, they, they sleep on top of the, the section that sells nothing but plastic bags. Um, 
And in fact, there's a famous plastic bag that was made in some huge quantities that was still around for years uh, and turns up in every country in the world. It's like that, um, you remember when the, the container load of uh, trainers went off some Icelandic carrier and ended up f floating around in the ocean. But because they float, scientists were using the, the trainers to track ocean currents and got funded to what's quite an interesting study of the the, the oceanic voyages of the Nikes <laughs> and the Adidas. Uh, note the correct pronunciation there. <clears throat> um, so um, back in the Subzumandi, the, uh, the girls kind of got distracted and, and wandered off. And But uh, Jeanette looked a little concerned. I mean, this was a city within the city again, as is in compounds and um will they be all right but i knew they absolutely would within within this <clears throat> noble guild of moldy onion sellers and and they got turnips there something like yeah. it yams um that it the, the operations of the subsequent were a matter of kind of pride within the families that had different parts of it. And no doubt they had their own economics and, and how their loans were organized and how everything was and their own hierarchy. So it was no surprise when I found that um, some of the bigger sellers had said to um, their more trusted uh, workers, go follow the little girls around, make sure nothing happens to them. Because when Ellie came back, she was seven, uh, she had two goats with her that she'd, <laughs> baby kids uh, that she wanted. Um, and there was a trail of about like six or seven rather concerned competing deputies from the, the, the potato section <laughs> or, or the tomato. Tomato crowd and the potato lot never got on. <laughs> they were always at war. <laughs> um, and so that would be safer, really, than just in a, in a normal street or conceivably in a hotel, probably. Um, whether they learned anything about life in general, about uh, the, the inequality of the world, I, I doubt very much. Uh, girls grow up a bit uh, more practical and don't see anything, um, and especially as children, like all children do. It's just other kids are other kids. I've had, in my travels, I've been in a situation where I've had a, a friend's grandson, or anyway, two infants, really, three, four, five years old, don't speak each other's language at all, but can be seen in the garden playing quite well, um, communicating over the toys, and both, incidentally, both sides nattering away in the languages that they know, but um, the understanding seems perfectly straightforward. <laughs> Something that unfortunately gets lost as they grow up and mm. go through the minefield of puberty and then the uh, mm. teenagedom of ambition <clears throat> before they reach the middle-aged depression of failure. So, but it was it was soon coming time when um, uh, 
there was no point for her to stay around. Uh, you know, there was nothing. They, at least she'd seen her husband, you know, alive and well, if in the clutches of the wrong people. Um, it arranged at least um, a halfway good lawyer. But what was a, a bit surprising to me, um, which I didn't find out until not long before uh, I left the country, um, was how was it that now the history of this two tons of hash that was to go into bed sheets and be shipped in containers to the nameless country uh, was that the a bunch of uh, London notorious crooks from families whose names you'd know, um, some of them had put some money into offshore operations like this, but you've got to be there. I mean, I've said before in this very chair, you go with your money because it's going to go somewhere else without you. That, that's for certain. How had it come to be that they, uh, they're not, they'd already lost 70,000 pounds and they were willing to have this poor David go over and stay in the worst hotel for this. He was at, um, he was at the Hyatt. Yeah. You can imagine it. It's high profile. Everybody would want to know what somebody was doing. But that wasn't somewhere, somehow, um, what should have been a simple sting operation uh, ended up in a real arrest. Like, there was never any hash. I, I said, wait, 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 wait a minute. Did you ever see this stuff? Oh, well, I was taken to this warehouse, and there it was behind. And what, you got to fondle it? Did you rip something open and smell it? You know, the, what was it, Kashmiri Black or any of the other phony names we give all these things? Um, not really. They didn't want to uh, interfere with the packing. Oh, I bet they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they probably begrudged buying the bed sheets, let alone anything else. So when um, he was arrested from his hotel and Akbar Shah, of all people, I mean, and yet no. Uh, evidence uh, of any hash or any other drugs or anything. Um, there, I tried to get from the family, from uh, Mrs. Akbosha, who used to uh, turn up from time to time at the Carlton Hotel into Jeanette's room, pick up the phone, get onto room service, order a four-course meal and sit there and eat it off a, a, a mobile table that would be brought out, um, making quite a mess of the place munch that all down and then disappear. <laughs> well, but rich. the people that I thought were witches, it was, um, and, and the one who had the hairdressing salons, the, the wife there, she'd given me a couple of clues. Um, she said, you know, uh, it's the wife who controls everything, there, the money. And when he loses money, uh, hers, that's unforgivable. Um, I, you know, a bit slow-witted. I'm not picking up the clues here. And you know, then another thing about um, um, how she was supposed to, well, really get a cut of something that he managed to squander, and how best to punish husband for uh, uh, some misdeed, have him thrown in the can for a while. Yes, indeed, it was. There was no hashish. It was just another. Um, a rip-off in the making, and um, David had been sent there on a fool's errand, and 
managed to get arrested, so the only leavings of this were whatever could be wrung out of his family. Mm. Uh, and so she wasn't getting any of that, um, and it had been intercepted um, by relative <laughs> do-gooders such as Robbie and myself who were making sure no more went, but the family house was sold, mm. and uh, it was kind of too late for all of that. Uh, but Jeanette didn't want to, I mean, she was getting these letters which were all of nonsense about um, being tortured, death penalty, yuck, 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 yuck. I said, ignore all that. You know, they're, they're, almost no Westerner gets mistreated unless he's some half-wit that's put himself in that position, thinking myself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so um, um, about the, that, it was clear that that, uh, at the time I left that, this case would, was going nowhere. So it was only, depends how impatient you were. Um, he, David had to sit it out until the two, oh, the, this bail thing, two years, that's, that's the line that people have to cross and everybody gets it. Um, and I think to this day, that case is still uh, unresolved and nobody cares about it. Um, but, um, and, Anyway, uh, Mrs. Akwashar had stopped, uh, thought he'd been, her husband had been punished enough and more or less wanted him back by now and wasn't going to get anything. And if there was going to be money coming from uh, the Gora, uh, the white man's family, then she's going to be damn well there in time to catch it. But all she had to satisfy herself with um, commodious room service from the Carlton Hotel as her reward. So did David get out then? Yes, he did. Um, but not for quite some months. I um, uh, <clears throat> such affairs as they were to to settle there. I, I left in fairly good shape. Um, uh, Air Force captain was um, he was fine. So I, you, you were out on bail and you skipped bail? Oh no, no. I I hung around until the case was finally destroyed in the uh, Sindh High Court and uh, the prosecution withdrawn because um, I didn't want, um, I wanted the property that the Air Force captain's family had put up to go back to them without any fuss. So there wouldn't be a loss and all I had to uh, recompense people were for um, you know, the inconvenience of it. And that was done in a kind of another way. As, as I mentioned last time, I didn't actually, didn't cost me a thing. And and that is um, the kind of lesson from there, is, as tough as it sounds on yourself, if you're trying to do anything in a country where people ruthlessly stand on each other and they would rather go broke in their own shop than see the shop across the road succeed, something, if you're, you can't pay for anything um, and expect to get it. You've just got to be there, make sure it happened, and then <clears throat> reward afterwards, uh, and therefore you'd be welcome back. I, I think I mentioned before, didn't I, that there was somebody I used to uh, be supplied by who would never mention money. <clears throat> and when I asked him what he wanted, he just said, well, send me whatever you want. Um, and those good old days, of course, you could go to Wall Street Forex behind Piccadilly Tube Station 
and shove over all you could get in your little wheelbarrow. <laughs> and uh, it was a glorious sound, Sean. You could, there was nothing there except this. It was next to Planet Hollywood, or behind there. You could get lost in its little folds, <laughs> uh, very womb-like. <laughs> if the side doors opened, you could hear the sound of, must have been 20 money-counting machines, all chattering away mm. happily to each other. Either, you know, 50-pound notes or what they call the 500-euro note, the Bin Laden. Mm. I think that's a journalist invention, frankly. <laughs> but uh, I'll go with it. It sounds all right. I mean, the, in the world of uh, cash transactions, I think the, uh, the terrorist network amounts to absolutely nothing mm. by comparison. Um, Tatiana wanted to stay there even though her case was over. Um, I wasn't going to travel back with uh, um, Jeanette and the girls. They, they were leaving earlier. Um, and made sure they were away and safely back home. They were home, mind you, that they'd be moving from within three months. Um, I went to the uh, Australian High Commission in Karachi. Well, they didn't really have one, the Australians. They had an um, honorary consul. That's a job they give normally. In, I used to, in, in the Americas, north and south and everywhere, they used to give this to a, the, the local drunk they could trust or something like that, say some American guy who hadn't disgraced himself lately. And he could uh, issue passports and whatnot. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> I did, the, the one for the Australians was... Um, Ah, oh, his was a Khan, which very loosely is, is a, a clan or a tribe, you could say, the Khans. But there's so many spread all over around the world. And in India, Pakistan, that name doesn't mean anything. But he wasn't pleased to see me. I think uh, as, as we sat down, uh, I was saying that he didn't like the idea that uh, one of the uh, foreign national criminals uh, would actually be in his office. And he did, well, how did you get out? And why was that? And I never mind all of that. I just the piece of paper with the stamp on it. That's it. Had many before and I'll have many again, but this is the one I want today. <laughs> um, actually, I had a very, very, they've kind of centralized the uh, processing, even by 2000 uh, of passports. The, they were, up until then, your consular services could issue one. But do you know if you if you lose one, um, say you're in, I don't know, <clears throat> Uganda or something, and you've been drugged on a train and you wake up in a hotel room, you've got nothing, and you somehow get yourself to the um, Uganda, what would it be? Oh, I suppose it would be an embassy rather than a high commission. Never know. Anyway, if they... Uh, to issue with a passport now, as we speak in 2020, that gets done in London. Mm. They don't want all the foreign uh, consular services being able to knock out their own because they used to, the ones they would issue would not be biometric. The ones they would issue didn't even have, back in those days, any of the, the coded um, writing. You know, on the bottom of a passport, it's got two streams of machine-readable text mm. with your name on it, date of birth, but it's backwards. 
And if you've ever had nothing to do on a plane, you've noticed that there's an extra number in there. Well, that's a checksum. What it does is uh, <clears throat> it takes all the numbers that preceded it, and to know that it's been reading them correctly, mm. it takes that number and divides it by seven into the other, and it should be a known figure, mm. like point 0.1. And by the way, on all passports worldwide, there are two checksums, one for each row, and a third pair of digits at the very end, which is the checksum of the checksums. So you can decode that if you've got nothing better to do. <laughs> <clears throat> and nonetheless, uh, grudgingly, I was handed this thing, and then uh, uh, really I had to um, decide where to go next. I had some outstanding matters. <laughs> you might recall that um, when I left uh on this uh, long mission. It was supposed to be a couple of weeks to see where Iftika was, but it ended up being uh, 18 months. And as I uh, walked out of my um, um, Bedford Gardens, Chelsea news house, um, I thought, well, David, you're only going for a couple of weeks. You've got two good passports, absolutely. Rock solid there. They'll stand up under anything. Um, do I need to do everything? Well, yes, I did. I put the keys um, up the drain pipe in a, under some magnets, uh, and also on that same key ring was um, a safe deposit box key, and also the the, the key for access to um, a Fulham South storage uh, self storage depot. So there was all the bits and pieces that uh, somebody coming along after my fall could find what they needed. Uh, I, I think I'd mentioned that uh, I had. No, I, don't, I don't know. But in summary, um, well, instead of sitting out my two years, I got impatient for um, uh, an earlier bail. And I don't know. I, I, I would, I'd, what, I'd sat out and... I'd put up with Thailand for two and a half years pointlessly, only to realize I had to escape um, anyway. And I came to look at jailers, something like uh, corrupt voting, you know, vote early, vote often, escape early, escape often, <laughs> is their motto. <laughs> uh, but uh, instead of, you know, how I just tell you, I left things in their place in Sweden, there was a nice little reward for the. Curious, the tired, uh, sitting in a bank there, and a whole stream of other things. An account somewhere at the Banco Bilbao Vizcaya, Argentina. Uh, all of this wonderful stuff, safely tucked away. Does not need any imbecile to interfere with it. I could have left it years, really, and probably most of it intact. No, no, no. I was in a hurry. This escape early business. And I couldn't escape from there anyway because, as you know, I was in a position just to walk across the street. But if I'd done that, had no chains, no handcuffs, I would have been reliant upon my friends to so-called protect me. The case would have stopped instead of gone on to a good conclusion of an acquittal as it did. So I, I couldn't do the the obvious thing and just walk out. I had to sit it out. So I thought, oh, I'll get bail and at least go back to Sweden and everywhere else and, and 
see everybody and try and keep everything afloat. Because I'd retired there, as you recall. Oh, and I had Eloise there as well, who hadn't heard from me for uh, some time. Um, <clears throat> uh, though um, she had tracked me down. Um, in, well, she'd found out that something had happened um, even before I got back. She'd loitered around the, the Muse house long enough to find out who the agents were and then the owner. Uh, and the owner just, <laughs> it wasn't exactly very, um, we got along well, this owner and I. I mean, he knew everything I gave him was phony, but I gave him enough money to make it good. Um, and he said to her, getting it all mangled up, Oh, David, fine fellow. Uh, I think, he's, is he executed? Oh, soon to be, anyway. What was it? Two tons of cocaine in uh, uh, Karachi or somewhere like that. <laughs> Karachi, cocaine, what? You know, Colston, you okay. Anyway, um, that didn't uh, make her feel much better. I think she uh, destroyed a couple of the gifts I gave her that night. I later found out. Because I hadn't been entirely frank with her, Sean, as to uh, what my occupation was. <clears throat> in fact, I hadn't told her at all, and in a sense, she didn't want to know. You had a question actually from Erin Green. Mm. What happened to Eloise while you were gone? Were you able to get any messages to her, or did she presume you dead? Ah, uh, no. Well, I mean, as um, nervous uh, as she was, um, she wasn't somebody likely to to give up either. You know, she, uh, private school girl. And, go back on the hockey field and all that. Or was it lacrosse? Anyway, whatever. Don't let go of your puck. <laughs> uh, so she wasn't put off by the, the house owner's talk and managed to find my brother somewhere who was running Cafe Productions, a film company down in Soho at the time. Now, was, Simon, it, was he on good terms with you? Uh, well, very cynical terms, you could say that. I mean, I... A couple of times I stayed out in Finsbury Park at his place there when coming back from someplace horrible. Um, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, oh, we've always got along, but he, he never until, uh, I think he's almost disappointed that I retired. You know, no more interesting things happen. Um, but he's at the cold face of the um, film business because the makers of things, uh, get very little reward. It's only the deal makers of things who, who do all right. But he he did find, oh, he did tell me when I um, spoke to him by smuggled a mobile phone from Pakistan in the jail and then later, oh, some girl came looking for you, David. Yeah. What kind? Oh, English, quite pretty. Uh, seemed quite smitten, don't know why. Anyway. I straightened her out on that. And by what method of uh, <laughs> traducement, Simon, did you do that task at your hands? Oh, I told her it was pointless. I'll never change. You know, well, you don't, do you? And uh, if she hung around, she'd only find herself in trouble one way or another, or alone, mostly. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's good of you. 
You want to work for the UN or anything like that? <laughs> you know what brothers are like. I mean, um, they. Re I, I think they relish sometimes the opportunity to uh, uh, make make their fellow brothers' life <laughs> miserable. <you know? laughs> um, so, <clears throat> um, none of the kind of feedback that Eloise was getting was particularly helpful, uh, and it wouldn't be until. Um, well, well, I came, I left the country uh, in a very roundabout fashion, and um, I'm trying to remember exactly which bit of mischief I was up to. I was up to some, that's for sure. Um, <clears throat> oh yes, yes, yes. Oh, you got it now. Yeah, I just placed all the connections. You know. Or, Oh, everything in Sweden was smashed to bits by my um, um, Australian bank robbing friend who'd come to uh, help me. Why? Because he'd uh, broken every laboriously rule into his thick head. He might have been a, a loyal fellow, and he was. Um, and, and that's the thing. If, you, if you're in a crisis, you need a helper. You're getting... A trickster or an honest man? And if it's an honest man, how bright is he? Will he be able to see th through things? No, not at all. Um, he's gone, extraordinarily enough, all the crap that I'd done before. What if somebody else had to get into my bank account? What if I needed somebody to get into the safety deposit box? All of this stuff worked. And I thought I was only doing it as a good luck charm. Now, David, if you do all this preparation, this two-week trip won't go badly. It, um, it'll, it'll turn out quite well. And uh, all the precautions, as usual, will be the B plan that you never have to need. Well, I should have... I didn't leave it. So by the time he'd left keys lying around and got himself arrested, he was three months in solitary mm. in Sweden on suspicion which they do in Scandinavian countries. I wonder whether they're still up to it. I suspect they are. Mm. They can hold you uh, incommunicado for months. Wow. And it's only the judge that stops that by saying, all right, put up or shut up. Well, in um, his case, uh, his real name was Harry, but I can't remember what I called him in the book, but you'll know who he is. Um it's the same guy I sent down to uh, lift me out of the um, a court date in uh, in Bangkok in Thailand, and his job was to they have a special had a special lift there for uh, an elevator that would take prisoners down into the dungeons, but it only had two guards in it and only that prisoner, so you could work out um, when the person you wanted to pick up was in there. Simply, there were two floors of the new uh, court building. I mean, it was a modern kind of high-rise office thing in Thailand that were unused um, for pending more trouble or something. So somebody would only have to press that button and open it up. But Harry, in any event, um, didn't um, <coughs> didn't like all those machine guns down in the uh, outside. But uh, he wasn't through wrecking my life there. He had a job to do in Sweden, which he managed to do. Lost all the stock. Because um, he had the coke in that little box, didn't he? Or something. 
Um, oh, he had some lame idea um, of um, smuggling something himself, but that that went nowhere. Mm. He was, nobody will ever guess it's in a porcelain statue. He said, as though there hadn't been a hundred thousand movies with you know things in broken statues. And I think they only did that as a an effect for because uh, it looks so good when smashed on the ground by policeman, villain. Private detective, whatever it else is in the, in the drama. Um, so I was going back to a fair amount of wreckage from him. He'd gone back uh, to his old career, uh, at least in in the bank robbery. It's fairly straightforward. You know, you go in there and making a withdrawal without an account. Huh? Um, but it didn't work out to his favour in the long run. And I'm getting uh, spotted casing someplace by an off-duty detective. Mm. And shot in the chest. Mm. Yeah, he survived that one, but um, the uh, <laughs> and was taken and got away and patched up a bit, but uh, ended up dying of cancer uh, some years into a prison sentence that followed all that. Is this leading you to have a adventure in Scandinavia? Yes. Shall we save that for the next app? Because we've gone uh, over two hours and we've got questions. Okay. Because where we head to next, I um, arrive back in Europe. I restore my fortunes for the third or fourth time. I forget which. Uh, <laughs> and my new bunch of friends are all from Denmark. And we go to Christiania, the hippie enclave there. And also, at some point, uh, some years after that, the Russians... Uh, appear again. I know, yes! I know you're very fond Andreas? of Andreas. Tatiana? And, and, uh, Tatiana, yes. She didn't join us. She was a bit scared uh, to come anywhere near at all, but uh, she provided the communications link. Um, and so for those who thought there'd been too much time spent in Pakistan, and there were times when I felt the same way myself, um, we are moving on now into... What we delude ourselves into thinking is a more civilized place in the world, Western Europe, where Russians again appear. <laughs> <laughs> Only under another guise. Oh, yeah, I haven't even told that story about the ship. And the... Good. We want more mm. stories. Endless stories is exactly what we want. Mm. Are you ready for your, okay, your okay, questions? Okay, uh, far away. Uh, um, not a lot. These are just all the questions that came under the last episode mm. so if you're watching this and you have questions for david please put them under this episode and i will print them out like this could lord nor john not have gotten you out of hyperdad prison hyderabad um Hi hyderabad yeah. yes but as i was saying physically getting out is is a nothing anybody can do that i mean you could leave from the courts Word at any know. time but um, you go from one prison into another. Whoever took you out, will they be as kind of hosts as the ones you previously had? Doubtful. Could, <laughs> could you employ David as international advisor to the Middle East, Sean, and send him off on a last couple of adventures? That might have come through... Um, I, I put up a video a little while back about the devil's advocate, how it was much more interesting to imagine yourself as the defender of people we've vilified in the past. And I mentioned um, 
uh, poor old Gaddafi, the best-dressed dictator of North Africa. Don't you think he was? He had an Italian designer, very snazzy, I must say, you know, as dictators go. And also, poor old Saddam Hussein. I mean, he had very poor advisors. Do you know Kuwait was slant-drilling into Iraqi territory for their oil. Naughty, naughty. But um, not only that, <clears throat> Iraq was um, a, you know, a gold mine for uh, good PR. It wasn't a kingdom. He could organize freedom fighters in search of democracy infiltrating down to Kuwait. He would have seemed like Bush Sr. and the Contras. Uh, you know, throwing a bit of money into the you know, <laughs> those who seek freedom and democracy. It never occurred to him, of course. But um, so that's where the idea of, of being a negotiator in the, the Middle East would be. But um, I don't know. Sometimes it's an unlucky thing. You conclude a successful negotiation, the next minute some halfwit leaves, what was it, 600 tons of uh, nitrates or something down by the port in Beirut. And half the city's flattened. So that is one unlucky town, Sean. If if you ever go there, people, um, take an hour's journey north to Juni. It's uh, like a, a mini little Paris of the uh, of the east. Oh, without the metro train station that smells like pee, which you can't avoid in Paris. Mind you, every street in Paris smells like pee, doesn't it? Food's good though. JC asked, what's the biggest touch you had, Dave? <laughs> well, being alive today, I suppose. But um, I don't know. I suppose most of us would say, well, that was the night such and such, and I didn't get caught. <laughs> um, but really, something, I guess, um, I can think of a candidate from something... All right, let's imagine, viewers, that you are sober and you have the job of customs inspector. And I had a <clears throat> my chosen container um, had some boxes within it, and it was one of these kind of stereo amplifiers, but it was, it was metal. And in their toolkit at Heathrow Terminal 3, was it 2? Mm, anyway, they're all joined up. Um, they didn't have an Allen key of the right size to unscrew the retaining lugs. I very seriously much doubt that uh, that would be a problem those days. I mean, we, 30 years ago, uh, Allen keys were fairly rare. Now they're in every crappy um, what, uh, screwing kit that you buy from the local shop. So because they couldn't go that extra quarter inch, they let me go with it, and I disappeared onto the taxi rank, thinking, "Not that one, no, 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 not any of them." Got down onto the uh, tube system, and back in those days, you couldn't follow anybody in those things. There weren't enough cameras. There wasn't a system. Now, I mean, you can imagine, uh, it would be it's possible to follow somebody uh, every inch of the way on the underground, and probably most of London, for that matter. Um, it um, not that 
the surveillance state bothers anybody now with people worrying about their health all the time. They, any kind of intrusion is seemingly welcome. People fretting about not being tested, worrying about, in fact, being tested. They've got other things to concern themselves, not the intrusion of the state. Um, you know what I want for Christmas, Sean? I want my COVID marshal's hat. COVID marshal? The moment I heard that we're going to get marshals, I thought, oh, well, that'll be something to go on the head. And do you think I'd need, I mean, if I was trying to do COVID marshalling stuff, you know, and breaking up a crowd or whatever it is, do you think they'd take me seriously in the hat or would I need a horse as well? Or do you think the horse and the hat gets hoisted by 12 young drunks straight into the Thames? It's possible. But the hat would float. Mm. I think you'd need Mao's little book to be taken seriously. Mm. I'm curious if David ever had any relationships with any lone and literal insects or arachnids while imprisoned? Question mark. If so, did they teach him anything worth commenting on or give a sense of connection via anthropomorphism in times of isolation and need. Oh. <laughs> well, we all recall that uh, Great question. Papillon ate his insects for the protein. Oh. And in fact, um, Martin, the scientist who was in the Bangkok jail, recommended to leave the weevils in the uh, brown rice because uh, that would be added source of protein. I mm. uh, didn't entirely go that route. Um, <laughs> Um, sent out for my food. <laughs> I it would be tempting, wouldn't it, if you had no other company um, to cultivate a relationship with an insect. But don't you get the slightest sense there that there's something? It's a bit isolated. I mean, I think this person's been on self-imposed lockdown for a bit long, um, but. Having said that, I've always been fascinated by the termite mound and, and its uh, hierarchical structure and the fact that it has air conditioning. Can you believe it? These nine-foot mounds out in, there in Australia and Africa, the structure of them has got vents in them which circulate the air and keeps it cool. Mm. And they're built in a kind of sliver uh, like that uh, old high-rise so that one side gets the sun and the, and the other side doesn't all day. And the difference in temperature uh, creates this uh, circulating air system. Oh. Uh, now, it shows you, doesn't it, that these, I mean, the, the guy's obviously an insect man, whoever it was. <laughs> uh, yeah. <clears throat> um, that they have no idea what they're doing, and yet they together do this stuff. And even though the more religiously inclined will browbeat me for this, that uh, natural selection uh, will favor those who do stuff, even if they don't know why they're doing it, uh, because they will survive, pass on their genes, and there'll be more of them doing the stuff that they still don't, don't understand. It's like having children today, I suppose. Um, but the um, so unthinking things can do thinking stuff. But... That kind of spoils it for me, Sean. When, once I know that um, 
you know, if we made a um, a little wind-up toy, mm-hmm. and it was all clockwork, but we gave it six basic rules. The, the main one is, if you hit something that way, uh, turn off in any direction you like. Um, when when you feel you're low on power, go back to keep moving around until you. Um, go over the area that's the recharge one and oh by the way if, if something hits your sensor there you close your little jaws and then go back to the charging station and let go of the jaws now they, they, this is completely unthinking but when we look down on it people humans have this anthropomorphism which to which he refers thinking oh they're smart they're running around collecting things and dropping them in a hole <laughs> and when they get tired they go back for a little rest over in their spot and when they bump into each other, they go around it, and they, they don't know shit. But um, perhaps we're just the same viewers. That we don't know anything either. But we're the inheritors of our genes, so we seem to feed ourselves in the morning. Mm. If you want to read about my relationships with the cockroaches in the jail, it's in my book, Hard Time, which is free to download at my website. And I did now have a transgender prisoner friend who had a pet... Tarantula called dog, but that's documented in prison time. Third, uh, why did he the name trilogy. the? Um, why did he name it dog? By the way, I don't know. To be honest, he kept it in a box and fed it crickets and insects and things like that. The cockroach. Um, the tarantula. Oh, no, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what's the lifespan of a tarantula, by the way? What's the last lifespan of a tarantula? Well, if you're a man. And you've just had sex with a woman. <laughs> sure, it's not yeah. very long uh, yeah, because in yeah. in um, in Tucson yeah, yeah. they come out during a certain season, and cognizant of the fate, sometimes the sexual organ is snapped oh. as the poor fellow runs for his life and leaves the sexual organ in the female. Oh, so no, I can see that choice between. Having a wangle or not, uh, or dying, yeah, leave it. It never can do any good anyway. It only got me in trouble. And I'm obsessed mm. with insect battle videos on YouTube, which did because they kind of like just like play one, beetles. They play one beetles. after the other, like like tarantula versus scorpion. But it did lead recently to um, a praying mantis video that was just auto suggested by YouTube, and it showed the female has a chemical spray that makes the male want to reproduce with her mm. and she will also eat the male but in, but, yeah. yeah but in this video she couldn't wait to eat oh, the male right. afterwards so she just cut his head off so mm. he was completely decapitated released the spray on to the male and he jumped right on her and reproduced oh even headless <laughs> headless I think people that will confirm what a lot of women have felt about men anyway. Even they would have their primary function, even headless. Girl power. Mm. That um, spray is quite unnecessary in many cases uh, that, that I know of. Of course, if there was a, a reverse one, well, perhaps it's in the air all the time. I never know. <laughs> I see. Uh, well, um, so that, that's... Ever since your relationship with your own cockroach, you, you've kind of been drawn towards the masses uh, of them. 
yeah. You do learn the traits and how they Why, can... do, why do the insides all look like porridge when you step on them? Is that what they've been eating? Or is it just eat what they eat anything? Yeah. Like nail filings, earwax. Yeah. Earwax is like honey to them. They try and get in your ears. Did you ever find anything they wouldn't eat? No. Uh, I, and there was no fighting them. You couldn't have a It didn't matter how many you killed. They owned the building. So, mm. like, people would s smash them in the daytime when they'd see them out. But at nighttime, they were just everywhere. What about sealing up the holes where they came out? Yeah, yeah, with toothpaste. Mm. I did that once. I used all my toothpaste. And then I got moved to another place that had even more of them. But toothpaste mixed with toilet paper or something? Yeah, make it kind of weird. yeah, kind of cement it. But the Amerifresh toothpaste that Sheriff Joe High was giving us mm. was years later found to have uh, been made in China with some toxic uh, antifreeze ingredients in it. Hmm. I mean, to give you clean teeth. <laughs> yeah, so and it made the sm the cells smell minty fresh when it when the cockroach cracks were cemented. Don't you find it's interesting that um, you know amongst prisoners with little time oh no nothing but time to experiment with all the objects yeah uh, have can use things like toothpaste in so many ways yeah how many posters have you seen put up with toothpaste yeah plenty and when it dries out uh if you go into a, another cell your, your first job is to um scrape all this old toothpaste off the walls on the tables in the day room you could actually do a starting line with toothpaste on one end a finish line with toothpaste on the other end and have a have cockroach races cockroach race. and gamble oh, on the winner right. did you have to mark the top of your cockroach with a, uh, <laughs> some... well, i didn't notice was they don't exactly go in straight lines they no, they no. do a lot of loop de looping and banging in <laughs> and they didn't climb over the barriers and cheat <laughs> they need quite a tall one for that well, they, they communicated with chemical smells because when we threatened them or smashed one mm. smell Chemical smells would be released. Then warrior ones would run under the cell oh, door. Really? <laughs> oh, looking all angry at you. <laughs> but the worst was the babies because the eggs were in a little piece of a worm. It looked like a piece of a worm. Yeah. And the females carried this. Mm. And they'd lay it under your bunk or on a, on a buck. If you didn't notice it, then all the little ones were everywhere. So, I mean, when were they when they hatched? Were they recognisable as, as what they were, or did they yeah, have tiny an little intermediate ones stage? Oh, they look like little a... bumper cars just going round and round on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> it's sad, really, to think that such detail is remembered so clearly. Yeah. Killing them is is not impossible because they, I'm surprised they fake death. So you she smashed them, and you're reading the book, and you look over, and it's gone because it's reformed. Or when you throw them in the in the toilet, they go like this in the water, like they're dead, but they're actually just holding oxygen to themselves. Oh yeah, they can, can't they? Yeah, there's enough uh, surface tension to keep breathable amounts there, and they yeah. breathe through the skin anyway, or yeah. carapace. Um, Hardy little buggers. They kind of remind me um, when I was a kid. There was a, a comic book, and it, it had in this issue we've got for you flat bugs. Oh yes. Uh, now, flat bugs, they're drawn on, of course, uh, these characteristics. When you look at them, they stay absolutely still. <laughs> and they're not called flat bugs for nothing. When you, when you feel across them, you can't even discern they're not completely flat. Not as exciting as sea monkeys, then. 
No. What the hell were sea monkeys? I remember bringing a few to life. <laughs> Some little thing that we had as and kids. And they came and dried as packet <laughs> and they yeah, came yeah, back yeah, to yeah. life. <laughs> I know. You know, in, there's a, this week a story of um, um, on Venus, um, discovery of uh, phosphine, I think it is, a gas normally only produced by uh, biological life. Mm. And the speculation, is it there or isn't it there? Um, given the fact that some kind of um, DNA replicating life in very basic form appeared mm -hmm. on Earth a mere 300 million years after the volcanic uh, eruption settled down to a degree, that's pretty damn quick in you know planetary terms. I'm nobody will be surprised when it turns out our entire solar system is. Um, riddled with microbes of one kind or another, just yeah. that it's only here we ended up having television. And um, probably if, you know, eventual probes and things will reveal that we are all not even, our ancestors are not even cockroaches, which will turn out to be quite a sophisticated thing. Mm. Um, I don't even know why anybody thinks that's going to be a surprise, but... They are. I've had, oh, <clears throat> by the way, I noticed on um, being a YouTuber now that you can look up in the comment section things that have been withheld as inappropriate mm. or, or all the spam ones are pretty, uh, you know, um, and people are a bit thick out there. They, you know, the ones that might get filtered from yours, but comments that are clearly a link to go to this website and there's girls all over it. And um, people have come back and said, oh, this guy sure knows a lot of girls because they use it in a different a YouTube uh, viewer's name at each time. And it'll sound like a real name. But So they haven't even really worked out that, no, spammers get thousands and thousands of accounts just so they can post comments. <clears throat> and I think the human being only comes in to start the account and that's it. Everything else is probably on a program to just comment to everything to, mm -hmm. to make that link. But um, <clears throat> I made some remarks about um, uh, what would life be like for, um, what was his name? Uh, a really bad name for a serial killer with a gun. Brenton Tarrant or something. Uh, Australian, went to New Zealand uh, and ended up making a mess of a mosque there. Mm. Uh, and his gun had all sorts of things written in tipex on it uh, that referred to uh, conflicts. Oh, did he film himself? Yeah, I remember live that. streamed and remember all of that. Yeah. yeah, and the uh, speculation was, uh, what would life be like for him in the supermax? Well, he's going to um, Delta Wing in Auckland, which I think he'll remain there. It's a fairly new mm. uh, high security prison. Um, and I think he'll be for there for the duration. I expect he'll end up uh, getting fan mail and probably just for something to do, we'll have a prison marriage from some <clears throat> sad case. But um, amongst the comments was because I seem to be taking a, a negative view of a man who killed people he didn't know, 51 of them. 51 uh, he killed? Mm, um uh, yeah, kill them simply as sort of some imagined revenge on uh, 
Islamist terrorists, as though there was some connection between that and the mm. people he killed that day. No, mm. I mean, as I'd said, if uh, <clears throat> if he'd uh, infiltrated himself into uh, uh, Syria and and taken out uh, an ISIS, ISIS uh, conclave, I think he'd be a little more respected than having stumbled into somebody's church mm. session. But amongst the, uh, the comments were... Um, you anti-white piece of shite. I like the little rhyme there. Uh, and uh, anti-white piece of shite. Mm, and um, something or other about uh, oh yeah, uh, Islam-loving fucker or something like that. Anyway, so I retrieved it from the bin <laughs> because it had been held aside, and thought no, it can go up there. Uh, I don't want to be uh, seen as you know. Censoring uh, negative comments. Mm. Don't get too many, but anyway, don't you find that if somebody takes an unreasonable stand against you, that that you, your defenders will sort them out? I have moderators who just block and remove. Oh, do they? Mm. But but out there in the as Joe Rogan says, the comments can become a cesspit. <laughs> uh, I'll bet. I don't know how that guy has the energy that uh, to stay alive. I mean, these are two-hour interviews every day, aren't they? Well, he just got paid a hundred million, so that's incentive enough. Did I say there was something bad about that? Look, let's keep this. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, there you are. It's um, whereas for anything remotely in a comparable figure for um, a person who appears doing something on a, on a media venue you'd have to go back to what anchor persons were paid by the big networks, ABC, NBC, and so on. Um, back in the, we'll go back to the 90s perhaps. I think when I was in Pakistan, I had greatest trouble um, t uh, convincing a local um, that, I forget what her name was now, but she was on ABC's, Today Show, morning one, um, the woman who was the anchor for that one, she was on quite a lot of money a year, 24 million or something. Um, but, um, and it was an exceptional thing. But somebody from outside of uh, our world couldn't imagine, you know, they'd see somebody on television, that's like an actress. I just heard a headline that Rogan is hosting the presidential debate on his podcast. Is he? Mm. I don't know if it's well, confirmed, I'll tell you what, I, I suppose we shouldn't take sides, but I always do. And uh, I'd like to see Trump return to the White House. Now, you're going to get, people, some, gonna get some trolls on the back of that. Uh, perhaps so, but look at it this way. Um, if you, uh, you could say the whole world is uh, subject to whatever, whoever the American president is. But you give, even the people you don't like, give them a second term. I mean, look, people didn't like Obama. Well, I gave him a second term, see whether he actually gets one piece of legislation through. Did he? No, I don't think so quite. Healthcare didn't even quite make it by the end. But, um, and poor old Joe Biden, well, he's not going to make it. He'll stagger through maybe a first term and then, what's her name? Comet Meteor? Co Comera? <laughs> Come in your face. I don't. I don't know. Commodore or something. Commodus. Commodus. Uh, anyway, the 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 woman that's running for vice president with him. Um, that's who would be president. 
And she is marginally more interesting than Joe is, but Joe's got to be one of the most boring politicians. Mm. Had quite a tragic life. Uh, various things have gone wrong, and he's been through uh, all of that. But he is a dull, dull human being. We need to reintroduce the Roman Empire method. Um, Victorian guards just wipe you out if you don't perform very well. Mm, it's true. <laughs> Nothing like a, a... Perhaps they take things a bit more seriously. Palace intrigue. <laughs> um, and you, you need about... Uh, you need a second term to sort of see what you're made of. Uh, who can think of, um, you know, one-term presidents that are even remotely memorable? I think um, George Washington had two and said, that's it, uh, I'm not doing another one. It's one of the few that look like they've not aged from it. Mm. All the others have really aged a lot. That's um, true. I mean... <laughs> Uh, Lincoln did, but he had pretty good reason. And I think he, uh, um, if you look at the old photographs of him, he had a few things on his plate. Um, I mean, he ran a big telegraph office for a start. Then uh, people have come from the, the war, they don't really, people might remember Truman, Eisenhower. Oh, Kennedy was such a great loss. Well, was he? We'll never know, will we? Um, <clears throat> he started the Vietnam, well, he let it get started, and it was um, LBJ uh, uh, Johnson who had to deal with it, and it was a mess. So Americans don't be too quick on the trigger to get rid of the fool you've got because you could get somebody who's much less entertaining. You know? <laughs> yeah. See, we don't just bring you true crime stories. We bring you science mm. and political wisdom. That's true, or half-witted advice that you're at liberty to ignore completely <laughs> because if you're brave enough to have weathered it out to this section of uh, the interview, you're into, what, over two and a half hours, and you really should get some sleep, honestly. You're not looking too well. You look uh, pale. Especially if you're watching this on premiere in Australia, which is probably the middle of the night. <laughs> Yeah, and they really have good internet, according to my daughter who lives there now. Uh, very poor signal. They yours go out in uh, high definition, don't they? Yes, yes, they do. They go out in whatever definition these guys do them in. I see you prioritize your uh, concentration on content rather than the technicality. Yes, content uh, creation. Mm. Uh, my life is, is just and has, all content creation now. Um. I, uh, how, how are your new projects coming? When, when can we expect to see? Well, James has the got Ep the Epstein Savile book. documentary coming up. Yeah, yeah. UK's Hidden Shadows Part 2. Mm. Well, part one was received very well. It was received very well, but this is all content we have never shown before. In the in part exclusive. Two. Well, I, I imagine about 90% of it is going to be exclusive interviews. Yeah. Wow. Yes. That's worth staying up for. Yes. It's going to be twice as long, do we reckon, as, as the first one? Yeah. Three hours plus. <clears throat> you know, that's dedication because I've noticed in the uh, YouTube analytics that most people drop off after um, um, 10 to 15 minutes. Now, we don't know that of they a don't what, come Of a back. video how long? Well... <clears throat> of um, kind of any video up to a, an hour, they might. Oh, but up in to the an hour. Yeah. 
Uh, the the much longer ones you can get to thirty minutes, but I think if they like it, they come back and pick up where they left off. Yeah, you've got. I don't a, think that counts as well. There's a hardcore group of followers who just watch absolutely everything all the way through. Yeah, there are a few. I've uh, um, uh, some some bits, of, some of our old uh, weekly chats. Oh yeah, I've, I've, I've retrieved there. the laptop that I did. Um, the editing on, of those, on, so I need to go and see if the earlier ones are still on that. Yeah, a couple of, uh, they're, they're, they're warmly received, and I top yeah. and tail them. With I really enjoyed that, it was fun. Yeah, it was, yeah. I, I've been ever looking since then to find somebody, who, you know, and I've had a couple of Skype calls with somebody, and I've nodded off during the <laughs> Right. Aye, aye, aye. You know, just without the yeah. you know ability to go off in a completely unexpected direction, which you have. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that uh, I'm, I'm even thinking of um, um, getting an unemployed actor to <laughs> not to pretend to be anything other than an unemployed actor, but um, one that's alert enough for that. So, um, well, at least those classics are on your channel. Mm-hmm. And I urge people to go down to David's channel and check them out and subscribe. We did weekly coronavirus chats full of black humour. And that's still around on my channel, as are probably now 30 little bits of um, deranged advice and uh, <laughs> half-witted <laughs> observations, and some that are, frankly, an embarrassment. But if you'd like to see me embarrassed, watch my channel. I'd also recommend you watch... David, on Danny Dyer's Deadliest Man. Well, would you recommend such a thing? <laughs> Scratch no, that. So, no, I, recommend, okay. <laughs> I recommend you watch David in his movie, mm. Made in Australia. What was it called? Oh, that one. Yeah, uh, The Man Who Got Away. The Man Who Got Away. Yeah. And um, I love the bit at the beginning where it shows David as the child TV presenter. Mm. You know, they were very much searching for an original of that. Mm-hmm. And in those days, you couldn't take away the tape of a video recording because they yeah. reused it all the time. Oh. Big two-inch stuff it was with the oh, spinning yes. helical head. We'd love to stuff but some I of that into one of his YouTube um, videos. But they called a kinescope done of it. You know, they they film the TV and you yeah. get a copy on film. Yeah. But it was about f- 10 times my kid wages at the time to get mm. one done. Um, and... Uh, they all promised to, but you know, I learned at twelve years old that um, showbiz world very empty promises. There. And you know, I probably would have slept with Uncle Hormone, or Uncle Normandy was the child kid presenter to get a copy. But you know, even that would have been a disappointment. I'm not warped by all the things that happened to me. You know, won't catch me on something saying to a court, "Change my life." That grope I had on a bus, oh, and never got over it. Twelve million, please. David has two books out Escape and Unforgiving Destiny yes. which are available worldwide on Amazon in ebook and paperback formats but if you want a special signed copy he's on I'll the, do that for you every I'll week he's doing that a little bit of your character in that so uh, you need to tell me something about how you see the world what your worst moment was what your best moment was what you do with godlike powers for our fans on the Isle of Man, we have bad news, and that is, is that is. due to coronavirus restrictions being tightened, it's already in a state of 14-day quarantine. We are unable to do the November Isle of Man event. They I was were looking just forward to cancelled. I know, yeah, would have been a good. Never gig. been there. 
all sorts of Isle of Man things keep coming. Yeah. Oh, a couple of fans from there as well. Yeah, yeah. And um, we're trying to reschedule those for August 2021. What's that on the basis that it will be vaccinated away, I suppose, <laughs> by then? <laughs> Oh, I, hope so. I don't think there's a basis. Mm. <laughs> no, no, it's just far enough away so that nobody can uh, imagine can, thinking can of it. Plan anything. Uh, all right, then, people. Uh, you've enjoyed this one, and there's uh, quite a bit more to come. So don't, you know, if you want any more of the juicy bits explained or something, just let us know. And Sean will be happy to probe deeply with questions along those lines, won't you? Absolutely. And we're just halfway through the 20 episodes David is contractually obligated to provide to us. So What, for cab fare and a donut? <laughs> See, I'm a cheap date. That's, that's, that's why I'm here all the time. Yeah. If you've just stumbled upon this video by chance and you've not seen the previous episodes, at the top of the description box below this video is a link now to David's playlist. There's multiple clips. Uh, yeah, lots of things. And there are all of the podcasts. So I've put them all now in order. One, two, three, four at the top of that playlist. So you can just go all the way down there, spend a whole week. I think some of them might need a slightest tidy up. Some of them do run on to um, three or four hours of something else. I don't know. <laughs> Test pattern. Some you know? of them are 10 hours long. We've, we've added a few extra Davids on there so you don't even have to get up off your seat to click over to the next one. <laughs> True enough. Also in the description box, <clears throat> links to David's YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. Are you not on Twitter or anything, Facebook or anything? Oh, I haven't got a life as it is. <laughs> <laughs> I was, you know, God is trying to tell me uh, not to leave my little studio and get down to the things I should be doing, writing other stuff. You know, I had the idea Content of, creation. Yeah, I know, <laughs> uh, of, of finding uh, mystery thrillers from the 1920s and reading them out. Uh, you know, who's got onto that? Anyway, the usual suspects. Um, but uh, so what His Highness does to me is gives me the shittest jobs to ever come into creation. I was taken down to some dump where this guy said, look, it might not look like much. And there's a, a lot, this is for like, um, to make sure the building stands up, to somehow stop the leaks, and to make it look presentable to uh, renting out room at a time. You know, the slumlords do all of this. So they hire me. Now, the whole building was listing to one side. It had a crack in some place. I think some woman died on the third floor. Every, the supposed laminate goes squish, squish, squish under my feet. To get up there, I'd probably kill myself. It's the Almighty telling me to shun all of those jobs. But I get them all. So lure me on with a few shekels more and so oh. that mm, my other half can go squander it at the Ivy. Oh. The, the restaurant's not that good on Blackheath. That's all right. Oh, they make a nice... Uh, mm, what is it? Fish stew, I guess, if you like that kind of weirbasey thing. Um, but no, no, I, I've got, you know, I'll have serious questions to ask for my output on all of that. But still, I live in hope. Also in the description box. Are we ever going to get past this? <laughs> <laughs> a problem with the description. There's the answer to the riddle of life on earth in the description box. And also why the number 42 has astrological significance. There's a link to that. In the description box. 
you oh, won't stop. No, I've lost you? where I am with the description. Our, our, so our socials. There's our socials. What? Our social media links. Oh yeah, like if you're really desperate, you can go on to um, <laughs> getting snatches of abuse and advice from uh, what is it? Facebook, Twitter. What do you? There's the link to the true crime podcast. All of them. Oh, and even there's the link to the UK. Oh, yeah. We have a UK gangsters playlist now. And there's also donation links if you are so inclined to help us continue to have these produced in a... (laughs) That's right. You can support Sean with uh, various levels by being a patron. That word has an echo from the golden age of the Renaissance when the nobles would give money so that an artist of skill, a Michelangelo, might paint the ceiling. But since the Michelangelo and Da Vinci's are gone... You can have Sean have very high technical standards to the nonsense he's talking. You will have absolute clarity in focus. Whisper perfect sound. But the same content, really. (laughs) (laughs) It's only a fiver a month or something anyway, Patreon. Patreon on on, uh, YouTube. Oh, you supposedly get special content. I'd hate to think what that is. We haven't promised anyone that. Oh, it's just not good enough. Stamp up, you cheapskates. So, Joe and James, cameramen, sound engineers, Mm. we can have them in here joining in the banter at the end of these videos when we're we're trying to... They've got families. I think they, you know, (laughs) the standard's there. (laughs) We don't. We're past that. Huge thank you to all the new subs. Subscription logo's in the bottom right-hand corner. Mm. I think that's about it, old bean. Okay, then I shall remove Cheers. the great yes. appendage and give you a. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, clean that one up. All right, then. See you, people. Adios. <laughs> Thanks for watching. Bye.